If it is important to women, it's important to Wilds Worldwide. Hello, I'm Alyssa Wilds of Wilds Worldwide, and I thank you in advance for your support of my podcast. Like Wilds Worldwide on Facebook, follow me on Instagram at Alyssa's Random Thoughts, and Twitter at Wilds Worldwide. We are on all major podcast platforms and broadcast on Facebook Live on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Like, share, follow, and subscribe to Wilds Worldwide. And remember, if you still have a pulse, it's because you have a purpose. Find your purpose, walk in your purpose, live out your purpose every single day. See you or talk to you real soon. And we are live. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. You know what we need to do. Like, share, text, tag. Wake everybody up and get them on for another edition of Weekends with Wild Worldwide. Um, you know that this month we have dedicated to um, the men in our lives. This is the month of the man on Weekends with Wild Worldwide. And I'm pretty freaking excited about it because of the mere fact that um, I want the world to know how much we cherish and revere the men in our lives. I have to say this. While you guys like, share, text, tag, all of you people, get them up and on. I need for everybody to come into the room. And this is not just about women. I'm getting into the room because I have my faithful supporters. Good morning, Tamika Chester. Good morning, um, Malcolm Bird. Thank you so much for coming in, Malcolm. I've never seen your name here, but I appreciate you being here today. And Troy Henson, I appreciate you guys. So like, share, text, tag, get your, all of your people up and on for this extremely important conversation. We've spent this whole entire month... Um, focused on a man, their mental health. You know, we looked into the eyes last week of the romance, um, how friendships work and how uh, essential to the soul they are to them, how we sometimes need to step back and allow them to have that time with their friends. Keith Stark started off the month talking about the man's mental health. I called it manning your mental, where he just talked, man, if you don't know, I really, uh, Helen, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate you for being here. So I really do need for you guys to go back and watch any episode this month that you have not watched because it has been so amazing. Every single day has, every single week has been so amazing. So I truly do appreciate your support. I thank you guys for tuning in. I need for you to get your people up and on and make sure that everybody's in. Etlin is here. Good morning, sir. Thank you so much for being here with us. So again, this is my last plea for everybody to like, share, text, tag, cats here. Like, share, text, tag, all of your people, get them up and on. I need for you to go get your morning beverage, whatever in fact that is. It is Juneteenth. It is Juneteenth. Power to all of my people. We are free-ish. Um, pretty excited about this day. Good morning, Yolanda, and all that will happen in this day. I do want you guys to get your people up and on. Get your uh, morning beverage, your mimosa, your beet juice, your water, your green tea, your coffee, whatever it is, because I'm about to bring out my guest. And before I do, I want to just tell you all a little bit, of, uh, a little story about fatherhood. My father, Asa R. Wilds, rest in peace, um, dad, that my dad um, is now gone. I have to say this. Good morning, Leah Banks. Um, I have to say this about um, my dad. My dad was not in the home. My dad was not in the home. Him and my my mother separated um, in my earlier years, probably around four or five months, never to get back together. And my mom is a beast. My mom is hardcore, um, a, a hero. 
don't, don't I will never take anything away from my mother. My mom was amazing. She did an amazing job with her six. She birthed six children. She raised five of us because I have a brother that passed early on in his life. So my mom was there doing this thing by herself. And my mom was amazing at what it is that she did. But I have to say that it wasn't until I, I developed a deep relationship with my father who was outside the home that I understood Alyssa. His presence in my, in my life was so vital. So while I didn't have my dad, I knew my dad, don't get me wrong, my dad was just not there. For whatever the reason was between my mother and, and my dad, he was just not there. But I have to tell you that it was around, about right after I finished um, undergrad, me and my dad's relationship really began to take off. And it was in that relationship that I found exactly who I was. I understood exactly my purpose in life. I understood exactly who I was. My dad, he, my dad is a, a, a dark skinned man with a thick nose and thick lips. It was in my father that I actually found my identity. And I have to say this, that after my father passed in 2014, I took a dip in my life. Not having my father just to bounce ideas off of, not having my father to just have somebody who understands me, not having my father to hold my hand through some of life's most difficult circumstances, relationships, um, job, job situations, children. My dad was there. My dad was that to me. And still, I will say that even in my father's passing, like yesterday, I had the extreme honor of being the keynote speaker of my high school's graduation. That is monumental. When you're called back to the place that you've come from and they ask you to take the main stage, that is amazing. The only thing I could really think of because my nerves kind of got shot and I was all over the place in the impending days leading up to it. I kept thinking if my dad was here, how proud my father would be if my father was here. I just want you guys to know that daddies mean the whole entire world. And regardless of what the relationship has become between you and that child's father, ladies, we still have a responsibility in making sure that those children have their father. We do a whole lot, taking nothing away from what it is that we do. Because as I stated, when I started this whole monologue, my mom is a superhero. My mom did that damn thing. I swear, she ain't never once left us alone. But my father, I needed my dad because he was a pivotal piece in who I was. In my father, I found my identity. In my father, he helped me find my purpose and swayed me to some things. My father helped me dig through and sort through and come face to face with my truth. My father was every single thing to me. And while my mom and my dad didn't make it, my dad was essential to my soul. So ladies, this is my plea to you today. That if you are a catalyst, a barrier to your children having a relationship with their father on this month of the man, I am asking you, and please note, if their father is not a detriment to them, because I'm not ta I'm talking about outside of that. I'm not talking about if he is abusive, if he is neglectful, if he's hurting people, if he's hurting your children. That's not what I'm talking about. By all means, protect your children. But if it's because your feelings are hurt, I need for you to do better. It is in my father that I found every single thing that was ever missing in me. All of the questions my mother could never answer. All of the things, when I look at my fair-skinned mom with her soft hair, I just didn't understand. Only thing that I have of my mother's is her height. Everybody else is tall like my dad. I got that, but I got nothing else. I look like a short version of my father. I needed him. 
he he helped me to understand. He helped me to be proud of my dark skin and my thick hair. My dad was everything. So ladies, again, this is my plea to you, that if you, you know that you're a barrier between your children having a relationship with that man that they had no choice in, they had no choice in it. You chose him. You chose him. And now you want to keep them away from him. I need for you to do better. I need for you to dig down in yourself and put your pride to the side that he is now gone. The relationship didn't work. Some of y'all relationships never were when they started. Let's just be honest. And now that the relationship is gone, you now want to hold those children back from their father. In their words, I'm going to let them speak. Today, I'm just going to be the, the moderator in this whole thing. I'm going to allow them to bounce some things off. And I need for the ladies to sit back and listen in their words, what fatherhood has meant to them and how we play a role in it and what we need to do to make sure that they are the very best fathers that they can be. Yes, they have. They hold the big job. But I know for sure that there are some reasons. We are the reason in some of these relationships why children are not connected with their fathers. So again, this is the month of the man on Wilds Worldwide. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your support. Ladies, if in fact your man is there, but he's asleep, I need for you to wake him up because this is an important relation. I mean, an important conversation that I want us to all have together. I want us to sit back and enjoy this, this conversation. I have men from all different facets of fatherhood and they've all agreed to be on my platform and I'm excited to have them. So one, I'm still waiting for one to come on, but I will introduce them as they have come in. I have Michael Chester, who is the father of adult children. Hey, Michael Chester. Good morning. Paul, who is a divorced father. Rob Tufnell, who is an adoptive father. Morning. Rashawn Hornsby, good morning. Rashawn Hornsby is a biological father, father, uh, 90 day fatherhood challenge, who also, biological father and grandfather, congratulations, who also brought his brother to ensure that his brother had the protection. His father was um, back incarcerated. And Nairi Almatri, who is a young dope dad, who is in fact a bi coastal dad. His son lives all the way in Vegas and he is flying. So welcome to Weekends with Wild Worldwide, fellas. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know if you guys are getting it, but I'm getting an unbelievable amount of interference. You guys hear it as well? No. Yeah, I, I do. I hear it as well. I think that um, somebody has uh, the podcast, like uh, Facebook is up on, on something next to you. Because that's when we get that feedback. Oh, yeah. Somebody is too close to the broadcast, and they they have the podcast up on on Facebook. That's better. There it is. I think. There we go. Somebody moved away from the. <laughs> Meek, can you still hear it? There we go. Sounds yeah, good. There we go. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Weekends, uh, welcome to Weekends of Wilds Worldwide. I appreciate you guys. Meek says she can't hear me. We thank you. Um, this is an amazing topic. We really appreciate you. I know I speak for all the fathers. We really appreciate you um, giving us the platform to speak about fatherhood, challenges, and what's needed for our children. So very much. I hear children. I hear a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, somebody got something going on. Here's some babies. 
That's probably me. The house is busy. <laughs> house is very busy. <laughs> I, know, I know all about a busy house, man. So I'm so I'm with you, Rob. I know all about that there. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to thank you guys. I do want to start off with um, a conversation about your father. What role did your father play in your life that now translate into the type of father that you are? Hmm. And I want, I want this. Let me just tell you guys. I had this conversation backstage um, with uh, Rob Chester and um, Al Hall. I do want this conversation for y'all to just kind of bounce off of one another. If I shoot out a topic, I want y'all to just go because I want this conversation to be like a glimpse into women listening to the mind of a man on fatherhood so that we can be at bits and pieces on what it is that we need to do and how we can better support you guys in your quest to be the best fathers that you can be. So you guys can start. And if you feel so, um, if you want to just jump in and have, join the conversation, then please feel free to do so. Well, I'll say, i jump in and say, you know, when I grew up as a kid, I actually look at it like I had, I had two dads, pretty much two fathers, because my biological father um, didn't raise me, but I knew exactly who he was. So uh, I had a stepfather. My mom got with my stepfather, which I believe is my dad which I call my father, my dad, Keith. So my dad, Keith, raised me from the time him and my mom got together probably when I was about one and a half years old. So as I grew and my my brother right underneath me, he was like multiple. So my mom always tells me, like, she could have told me that my stepfather was actually like my biological father because I was young enough that I didn't know. So when I grew up, always had a always had a father so i didn't i didn't miss out on having a father but it was my stepfather but i don't even call him my stepfather because my father which is my stepfather he had a, a son before my mother but if you let my older brother tell it i was the favorite and i wasn't even his biological child right so i didn't feel i never felt like the stepdad stepson kind of a thing right and i had the kind of mom and dad that always told me who my biological father was. And I was confused as a kid because my mom never told me anything bad about my dad, ever. It was always that he was smart, he was intelligent, he was this, he was that. And then even your stepfather, my stepdad, used to tell me how dope my dad was. So you're like, how do both these people big this guy up but he's never around? Like he never comes around, he was never present. To this day, my father has never saw me play sports. I played sports all my life. He's never seen me go to the prom. He's never seen a report card of mine. I never remember him at a birthday. And this is my biological father. My stepfather, everything I've ever done up until the time I even had my own son, my first child, he was always there. He was. It was never, that was it. Um, his mother and father were my grandmom and grandpa. His sisters and brothers were my aunts. His, like, even to this day, him and my mom are not together. And that's still my father. Like my cousins, my like it's still the relationship is still there in my family. But and I always knew my biological family as well, too, you know, because my mom made sure that I knew that side of my family. But my father just didn't choose to be in my life. So but I was just blessed to have a to have a father. I, like I don't even like to say stepdad. Like that was my that's my dad. Like, period. That's how I grew up. My um, my dad, I was fortunate. Very Well, I was unfortunate. My mom died when I was young. But I was very fortunate. My dad was older. He was retired from Campbell's Soup. So he was always home. 
Hmm. So coming home from school every day, getting, you know, him cooking dinner, um, just being there, throwing the ball in the yard. Um, and and by him working at Camel Soup, him knowing everybody, going out with my dad, just just to the stores. Um, it, it was great. It was just great growing up with him. And um, I guess the way he was with us now translates for me with with my kids. I have one biological daughter. Um, she's 30. She has two kids. So I got two grandbabies, Amaya and Elijah. And then and then me and my wife, we have the foster kids. Um, we have two boys that we adopted. They're officially ours. And then we've had oh, whew, numerous upon numerous kids um, through the house. I mean, you hear how busy it is now. We have two little girls here, Hadassah and Pip, um, and we've had numerous. I mean, Alyssa knows about Chewy and and Journey, and we've had Colin, Aiden, who else? Who we Moses, Messiah, just and I mean, the moment they enter into our house, it's like you know they're ours. We, you know, because you, you never know how long they're going to be here. They could be here three months. They could be here two years, like some of them. But yeah, it's just um, I think from my dad raising me the way he did, it just translated into what what I've been doing with my kids. He was stern. He was he was uh, you know when when you knew you were in trouble, you knew you were in trouble, and it just um, the 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 balance of discipline and love were were just so equal that you just it just it just taught life lessons. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, I just had this conversation with my son this morning. I'm trying to help him to, to work through some um, some issues, and it it got me reflecting about my interaction with my dad, and got me reflecting about you know my dad's funeral. My my dad overdosed probably about five to six years ago, and up until that point, you know, growing up in the household, I always felt like my dad was there, but he wasn't available. I say that he was there because he was in the house. I have three stepbrothers, and my, they're in Montgomery, Alabama. My father was here in New Jersey. And when I say he wasn't available, I had to deal with, you know, my mom being home alone on Fridays, him, you know, um, struggling with his shit, not coming home with his check. Um, and internally, I would resent that because this is my mom. You know, I'm hearing my mom and her, you know, crying, knowing that she's hurting because her husband's not out of it. But when my father overdosed, um, and I really started to um, reflect and talk to some of my friends that I grew up with that did not have their dad, they was like, yo, like, your father is like a father to all of us. Like, one friend, his father was gone. He was struggling with, with addictions. The other father left and went to be with another family. It was so much going on. And I began to appreciate that even though my father had his issues, he still was there. He was at every football game. He was every, at every track meet. Um, he provided that discipline in the house because that's really what kept me on a straight and arrow growing up in East Orange and in Newark because my father was 6'3", and I felt like he was going to put my head through a wall. So I had that, that structure. I had that discipline, even though he had stuff with him. So 
you know, I told my son this morning that it was a lot of great traits that my father had. No, he wasn't perfect, but he, I thank God for it because he provided just what I needed as a young man with low self-esteem, dealing with all types of peer pressures and, and everything growing up in the inner city. So that's what my um my, my interaction or my experiences were with my father. Gotcha. Well, I'll go. Um, I want to say my experience with my father, my biological father, I really wasn't around him. Um, my actual brother's father is the person that actually raised us, and I used to call him, you know, dad to everybody else. You know, that was my dad. Um, but in the sense of me growing up and seeing what it truly means to be fatherhood, it was like he was more a provider. He really didn't do I really didn't do anything with him. Um, per se of like, you know, learn how to ride a bike. I remember us, I remember him actually taking me to go fight my cousins because he said, you can't be big and soft, basically. So <laughs> we would leave, we would leave uh, where were we at that time? I think we were living in Collinswood or Malton. It was either Collinswood or Malton between back and forth between them. And he would drop me off at my cousin's house in Camden, out East Camden. And we were always, he would always make us rumble. Like, that's what I, we would drop us off and be like, yo, yo you got to rumble, you know. And I remember my cousin used to beat me up. He was a little older, but I was bigger, you know. So he was like, you know, you're not going to be a punk. I remember him doing that um, and basically just buying everything. You know, all the video games we had, uh, all the top food, everything. Like, my cousins used to come over our house and be like, yo, you're rich, you know. And I didn't understand that, you know, until I would go to their homes and realize they were living in a whole different environment, you know, whole different income. And they would want to come, like my house was the house that all the family members wanted to come to, you know? And uh, so from, from outside looking in now, I get older, I'm like, to be honest, the true fatherhood that guided me was football and my coaches, you know? The, the the still the hard work the drive to not give up to confidence in yourself you know to um you know teamwork working with others um to build that that type of character as a man it that came from the coaches you know um in sports and rightfully so like till this day I, I'm um Woodrow Wilson uh, coach Mike McBride like I look back at it and. He instilled some values and, and characteristics for us to succeed in life. You know, at that time, I hated him for making us do it, you know, working hard and doing it. But as we got older, like even till this day, when I talk to the uh, some of my old, old teammates and we play and I'm like, listen, like those those things that he put us through and those challenges and, and, and those having those high expectations of us, you know, that that molded us into the men we are today. You know, and and I, I want to thank every time I see him, I thank him, you know, for that, because it was deeper than what he taught us was deeper than what we could ever imagine. You know, now as a father going back, because uh, I want to say like Ms. Wild said, you know, I'm a father from, you know, out of state, you know, so it's like it's still when I'm thinking about it, you know, I, I, I have to really buckle down and instill those same values that coaching and football had done for me. So that's what my, uh, my, I guess I'm going to say my upbringing in, in the fatherhood 
type of atmosphere. Oh, you know, um, it's my turn to speak now. I'm listening to everybody talking your amazing stories, and you know, I'm thinking about my my own relationship with my father. And I think the, the biggest thing that I can say that I got from my father is is my character, and you know, the type of man that I am, the the, the walk that I walk, the talk that I talk, and the things that I'm willing to do, and the things that I'm not willing to do come from my conversations that I had with, with my father growing up. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because, you know, um, my mom and my dad got divorced when, when I was about 12 years old and his presence wasn't the same at, at that point. And I was resentful for a long time. And, you know, just within the last 10 years now, we've gotten real close again. And now my mother's passed on and you know, I'm, I'm able to get past the hurt of not having my father all the time like I had when I was a younger person, but also able to reflect on the life lessons that he that he gave me growing up and even recall them and, um, you know, pass some of that wisdom on to my son or to, you know, young men that I work with. And I'm, I'm appreciative, appreciative for it. So from the angles that you all got, you all come from, talk about fatherhood from those angles. Like Rashawn, I, I am extremely um, intrigued by your story. And I want to let everybody know, I didn't I didn't even know Rashawn Hornsby existed until I became a, a Camden City School District employee. And from the first contact, he became my go-to person for everything fatherhood, to be perfectly honest. He was, um, I met him when I was at ECDC and he was already on the roster to speak at our um, Fathers Bring Your Children to School Day or something like that. And I can remember it was such a huge deal for the principal. It was such a huge deal. And I was just rallying and he was helping me rally fathers for this event because it's my first big event in a whole new school district. I was kind of trying to prove myself to get my numbers up. You know, I'm competitive. You know, I was just like, Gotta pack these dads in. I'm in everybody's classroom. I'm making challenges. I'm buying pizza to the classroom with the most fathers that come out. And that very first event, that very first event was, I had 119 fathers there. They were young. They were older. They were pop pops. They were just fresh out of jail. They were from all different facets. And Rashawn Horsby stood there and he gave them so much hope to move forward. It was so much hope. And he has a 90 day fatherhood challenge and he told his story. And this is what I do truly do appreciate about all of the men that are on my panels on my panel this morning is that they're extreme transparency that I am not perfect. I ain't even going to act like I am. My upbringing wasn't always good, but I do appreciate those stories because those are the stories that people can latch on to. Because when you, when a lot of times when we think of a speaker, somebody that is brought in, they're refined. They're suited and booted, and they want to tell the best parts of their story. But the blessing is in the Al Halls and the Rashawn Hornsby's of the world, they told just how rough it was. The next two years after that event, um, Al Hall, because I, I pulled Rashawn Hornsby for as long as I could until the whole city realized that he was a gem and started pulling him smooth around the city. So it was getting a little bit harder to, you know, to pull on him. But Al Hall then came in a few years later. Um, and started talking about from the 
divorced father's standpoint because he was then divorced and how hard that situation was. And then there were men who wanted to rally around him and gathered around him after that speech and talk to him like, yo, thank you so much for being so open and honest because I can relate. But Rashawn, I want you to tell them your story about your brother. Now we know that you have children, but it's your brother who was fatherless in the absence of your father. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's my my little brother, Darrell, which is, uh, I consider him my son. I raised him since he was 10 years old. He's actually the, the same age as my, my oldest daughter, Ashanti. So, I met Darrell probably when he was about, I didn't even know I had a brother, you know, named Darrell. So once I found found out about Darrell, he might've been about seven years old. And I met Darrell and I started, you know, to try to have a relationship with him because that's my brother. So I would bring him around my kids because, you know, he was the same age as my son. So my son, my oldest son, Papa was probably about 10 at the time. So, and my son was doing music. So I brought Darrell around, you know, so he can know his, nieces that's actually his you know his nieces and nephews um but you know after having Darrell around for a few years uh a couple of times he ran away and he would come to my house when I lived in North Camden and he would run away and come to my house you know and I would take him back things like that and the last time he ran away he came to my house he didn't have any shoes on he walked from Fairview anybody from Camden he walked from Fairview all the way to North Camden with no shoes on and I was just like, he showed up at my door. Like, why don't, why don't you have any shoes on? He was like, oh, I ran away. Just stuff wasn't going right in the house that he was, yeah, where he was at. Um, not totally the person that was raising him, hit their fault. Darrell was growing, going through different things. So I was just like, you know what? How would you feel if, if I raised you, if you came to live with me? He was like, I would love that. I was like, you sure? He was like, yeah. So I asked my, my ex-wife at the time, uh, you know, how she felt about it. You know, she supported me with it. So I filed the paperwork. I talked to his mom. She was cool with it because um, she wasn't in his life. She wasn't raising him. So um, and the lady that was currently raising him, she was uh, like disabled. She was starting to get older. So Darrell was like big for his age. Uh, so I started the paperwork process uh, to get custody of my little brother. So being married and having my kids and never dealing with child support and the system and everything. I was like oblivious to the family court system. So I went and filed the paperwork. And while I was sit sitting there, I would just hear conversations. And this one guy came up to me. He was like, you know, you know, why are you here? I was like, you know, I'm trying to get custom. I was like, man, I don't even know why I'm here. He's like, I don't even know the kid that I'm here for. And I was just like, you didn't know the kid. That, that was like, okay. So then I heard one of the workers come out and they were talking to a lady and she said, I have good news and bad news. She said, the good news is that I know uh, we have an ad address for your child's father. She was like, but the bad news is we only can send it to one address. He has three different addresses. And I was just like, she's like, if we send it to the address that he's not at, you have to start the case all over again. And I was just like, wow, that's horrible. Right. I was just like, but from a male standpoint, I was like, how do you not want to, be located like how doesn't your child's mother know exactly where you live at like that just seemed weird to me right so i went to court got custody of my of my little brother the judge granted me custody i went in front of this judge and um he was like very impressed he gave me my my little brother without any questions and i raised Darrell from the time he was 10 up until when he graduated from high school so he's the same age as my daughter i moved him in and i wanted him to live just like my son and my daughter lived. So I never looked at Darrell as my little brother. I mean, it was just little things that when you like, 
uh, Brother Omatri said, like, just when other kids, like, they would say he was rich, that's how Darrell looked at my kids, right? So my son was doing music around celebrities, all kind of stuff. So he was blown away when he came to live with Darrell. My, my little brother never owned the name, brand, pair of sneakers, anything. So my kids would look at him like he was funny because I remember when he moved in, they were like, yo, Darrell, you know, they, we were just talking about food places. And like, he never been to Friendly's. He had never been to Red Lobster. Like, places that my kids were like, you never been to Friendly's? You never been to, like, Red Lobster? I remember the first time he went to Red Lobster, he ordered, like, the Admiral's Feast or whatever. Like, so, you know, it was like the lobster, <laughs> crabs and all that. And I, he was like, yo, he was like, what can I get? And I was like, you can get whatever you want to get. And it was actually my ex-wife's birthday when we, when we went, right? So she was like, like, let the rail pick the place, right? Because he never been a lot of places. So he picked Red Lobster because he never been there. And my kids were like, you went with a Red Lobster? They, like, go there like McDonald's, right? They didn't even eat McDonald's. That was just, like, regular to them. So he ordered the Admiral's Feast. I mean, you would have thought it was his birthday. He was so happy, right, just to have a meal like that and just to be around, like, that family and that love. And I watched my little brother go from being at Vets being he had all every label on him e um bd he was in all the the you know the emotional every kind of tag you could put on Darrell. he was on adderall he had every kind of label and tag you could put on it so i had a conversation where i said Darrell, do you need this medicine that they have you on he was like no i was like do you want to stop taking he was like yeah so i took him off the adderall i transferred him to cooper's point school where my kids went to school at because i had a great relationship with all the teachers there and everything. And I knew that they would push him and put him in the right direction. So he went from being a straight F student to making the honor roll, playing sports, having confidence. You see my little brother now, my son now? Oh my God, he's the flyest dude. I mean, confidence through the roof. I mean, total 180. I mean, this guy is totally different. I mean, he's always been a genuine kid, like very respectful. I never had those issues issues with him. Even when he was going through some trouble, that was never an issue. Anybody that he ever interacted with was like, yo, Darrell's respectful. He's a, he just made some bad decisions as he got as we do when we're teenagers, right? But just to see my little brother now as the man he is working. And to me, it was nothing more than forget the restaurants and the material. It was love. It was it. That was it. It was love. It was he was around nothing but love. He had my family, like my mom embraced him. That was his grandma. I'm talking about all my friends, my football team. You know, he played sports for the Simba. So all my coaches, the men like Coach Orlando that stood there that raised me, like Coach Matry said, like those type of people. Like I said, I had two fathers, but I had tons of men like through the Simbas, the men I watched growing up. It was so many men that I pulled from to be a great father to my kids that. Yeah, my two, my biological father, my stepdad, they put, they poured into me. But I would do a disservice to so many other men that that like impacted my life, like my football coaches and you know my my uh, my ex wife's father. You know, like because at one point he was one of the only men that I had in my life to look at. So you know, I learned from so many different people, and I feel like that's what makes me. I feel like I'm a great father because I feel like I I've messed up, right? in a lot of ways, but I feel like I've, I've done well in a lot of other ways. I've done, I feel like I've done more good than I've done bad. You know, we, we mess up as parents. We're not, always, we're not always getting right. So I feel like raising my little brother was like, it, it helped me. Like it helped me. He was, he was, a, he was, you know, he was that another child, you know, I didn't, you know, he wasn't my biological child, but he, you know, 
he helped me like get to know him. I have a relationship with him. Like I said, it's not even like my brother. That's like that's like my child to me. That's like my son. Like so, I mean, I love my little brother, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to raise him. I'm glad that you know my father and his mom they gave me the opportunity, and I feel like he turned out pretty good. I feel like he he's he's you know he's on his way to being you know the man that he wants to be. I appreciate you, and I appreciate your candor in that conversation. Our girl dad has arrived, and I just want to say that our girl dad was kind of locked out for a couple minutes. I didn't see him down here trying to get in. I'm glad I checked my cell phone because he was like, yo, Wiles, let me in. So our girl dad is here. So I want to ask you, our girl dad, before we move on, we were talking about while you were um, locked out. Hey, Fort, I wanted, we were talking about how our fa your fathers helped you and what you went through with your fathers or how you were fathered. How did that translate into your fathering? So um, I had a complicated relationship with my father. I, I guess I could say it went in phases. Um, my early life, well, my father was like a martial artist, like one of those 70s Afros, Bruce Lee fanatic, you know, did mixed martial arts before it was a thing. Um, so he was highly, highly competitive athlete and kind of started my life off that way. So had me, you know, forced me to jog miles um, when I was like five. Um, and I have I have three younger siblings. Um, so it kind of was like that energy right from the beginning. My father did the whole Sergeant Slaughter thing, <clears throat> you know, ground zero, military camp kind of energy um, with my early life. Um, so it was that dynamic, that whole scared straight energy from the first part of my life. My parents divorced. Um, and he went from like the scary dad to the dad that just talks and, you know, wants to talk things out and the touchy feely thing. And it was like, your dad missed me with that nonsense because I know you, like, I know you. And now you look like a lion with no teeth. Um, but he tried to make a shift from what he was raised with, where you do anything and get your butt hurt, um, to trying to be a little more, I guess, involved with the, the dynamics of helping character build and things like that. Um, and after a certain point, I think when I hit my teenage years, it kind of was just like, yo, I'm going to live my life and for me. And if I need my father, I'll holler at him. If not, it's whatever. Because at this point, I'm living with my mother. And I see my father when I see him. Um, a lot of the things that got instilled with me from my father, I realized as an adult. Um, and I also realized when I got old enough to accept our humans too. Um, because you know, when you're a kid, you kind of uh, you kind of give this unreal expectation to parents, where it's like you're not a person, you're a dad, you're not a person, you're mom. Like you have spoken perfectly everywhere. Um, and they weren't like neither my parents were uh, perfect, which is you know as you become an adult and start living like yourself, you realize well nobody's supposed to be perfect, and you're supposed to have those flaws. And parents' job, from what I've seen from them growing up, was to do their best to protect you from kind of those downsides or the tougher things in life for as long as they can. And then they shift to becoming the people that prepare you for those things um, as you get older, right? So younger years, you're supposed to protect and keep those things away. But then as you grow, 
become exposed and they're supposed to guide you through that exposure, right? Um, so shifting to when it came to uh, me raising my kids, um, I have two little girls. Um, I have a seven-year-old who's going to be eight next month and a one-year-old. Um, I realized that I do a lot of stuff like my father. My father was a very playful guy. He would like um, have us in the park all the time. Um, and not just the whole running miles thing, but we'd be in the park playing ball, we'd do whatever. I'm from New York, so you know, we just had basketball courts. Um, so we'd be on the courts all the time, right? Um, when my parents did live together, um, this is like this is one of the most memorable things for me. Um, we always had the boxing gloves, right? We always had boxing gloves for all of me and my siblings. And my mom said, Leave the house. Look, Himes, my pop's name is Jane. Um, Himes, do not have my kids in here fighting. Do not have my kids in here fighting in this house. Uh, as soon as she left, the gloves went on. We get distracted. <laughs> somebody gets a bloody nose, and it's like, shh, shh. Mind you, he's dad, but he's like, shh, don't pay your mother. Don't let your mother know what he's doing in here. You know what I mean? So it was almost like my mother had to deal with a bunch of kids in the house, him included. Um, and I feel like I am the same way with my kids. Like, I'm the playful one. I'm, you know, uh, the one that's going to be silly and do the irresponsible thing and be like, all right, look, don't tell you. Are you yeah. Um, I'm going to do the irresponsible stuff. I'm going to do the, all right, look, if this goes wrong, don't tell your mother, right? Um, because I got that from my father. Uh, my daughter, um, I was, you know, I have her running miles at a time because I did it when I was a kid, something I pulled from my pops. Um, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of stuff I learned not to do from my father. Like, I don't lay hands on my child. I got my behind beat every, <laughs> every day. Like, whether it was whether it was warranted or not, I got whooped. Um, and that's something I feel like, you know, didn't really do anything aside from scare me straight. Um, but it didn't really like, it didn't really teach me what I was doing wrong. It just scared me into not doing anything just in case it might get me in trouble. You know what I mean? And that, you know, that's not something I'm gonna do with my girls. Um, so it was kind of like the, I got the do's and the don'ts from my, from my childhood and my uh, fatherhood or my father's fatherhood. And I kind of took the bits and pieces um, and I apply it into what I do with my daughters. I love that. Al Hall, I have a question for you. Now divorced, how the co-parenting piece, how does that work for you? I want to talk about co-parenting and situations where your children are not in your same home. So that will be Nairi Almatri, Al Hall, Rashawn Hornsby. Um, yeah. So Al Hall, can you start us off talking about the co-parenting piece? Um, it's extremely difficult. Um, you know, like I said, when you were on before the other gentleman hopped on, and you were talking about how as a, as a mother or, or ex-wife, how children are And, you know, I, it was very difficult for me because, you know, dealing with the shame of divorce, you know, because we were this, on the exterior, this all-American family. Um, I went from being with my children every single day. My daughter was about two years old and, you know, to not see him at all from living in this, this home this development, being humble to, you know, downgrade into this, this one bedroom apartment, um, going from seeing my children every day 
to every other weekend. At that point in time, it was only four days um, a month every other weekend because of the nature of my job and business. I mean, it, it's been challenging because, you know, and like I said, I just was dealing with this just yesterday as far as, you know, when you have a parent bad on the father, um, lying on the father. And as father that only sees his children six days out the month, like, that number rings bells. Whenever I have a conversation with a with another dad, they're like, yo, that's tough, like six days. And um, it was many times, but I had to start to focus on quality, not quantity. I had to. Um, I had to because if I didn't, that depression, it, it just would have consumed and, and just taken over. Um, and you have to deal with the, the scenario of what's going on in my particular situation, my ex-wife got remarried, and there's a lot of things. We never had that discussion. And as far as I'm concerned, where I'm from, as a man, it's certain things, men, that we, we don't have to have a discussion about. Like, I'm not putting my hands on somebody else's kids. But it was, like, totally because he was a much older dude. It was, like, his way and then his profession, you know, and legal system, whatever. He felt like he'd do whatever. Um, so it, that added to that added to the frustration. Um, it also added to the frustration of not wanting to be dragged in the court because, she, you know, my ex-wife essentially has an in-house attorney. And it's like, yo, like, you know, I've been taking L's in this court system, and here I am, you know, all I want to do is just, just be everything to my kids, you know, just, you know, provide for my kids. And, um, you know, the challenge of trying to reprogram, you know, with that six days and with that negativity eating those seeds, that fear of I don't want my kids to ever think that I don't want them because they're too young. My my son is 12. He's starting to really understand now, but my daughter's seven now, not really understanding that. You know what? Both y'all in private school. Daddy paid child support. Daddy got a family. Daddy's engaged. I had to. I had a conversation with with friend, a pastor, and his brother divorced. And had a conversation about, like, most fathers, when they go through divorce, there's some dads that follow their ex-wife and where that, um, the ex-wife and the kids go. And you got some situation, like, like the brother that got his kids in Vegas, like, I mean you. I know three or four friends whose kids, their kids out of state. So I had to put things in perspective. I got my kids to the home. You know, my fiancé has a, um, a, a young son. Is it fair to uproot him? him? We looked at all types of variables, but when you make decisions, your child is having their own thoughts. Well, why did you move an hour away? And then you got your ex speaking to her. Well, he chose this, he chose her, or he chose her family. It's like, it's just crazy. And all along, you got scenarios where you got a lot of women. It's not all women because my fiance is divorced. And she did it. it's funny because when I got divorced and I started talking, you know, just not talking to as far as dating, but just communicating with other females that were divorced. None of them behaved like my ex-wife. None of them. And it was like, when you said it's about the kids, it should really be about the kids. To your point, you should not say, and the court said that you should never talk negative about the other the other parent. And I and I think I think about this. Every single week, and I was having this conversation with a brother the other day, we know that divorce has a profound impact on our children, but we never 
to the extent. Got kids that internalize, like my son that internalizes. You got kids that say, I'm all right. You got kids that, you know, you got some kids that are outward and open about their feelings and they act out. But what happens, you know, when they're, when they're, when they become adults, like I was talking to an older gentleman and he was just talking about how he and his ex-wife, how they're great friends, but the ex had on the student in the 20s. Like, so I spent a lot of time praying, like I said, literally all yesterday, because my son, you know, not wanting to cause trouble or feeling a certain way. Like I said, yo, like I felt the same way. Like this dude that you living with, like I'm feeling like he got more influence than I, what I got, but I had to, I had to put things in perspective. No, you don't. And even though I got six days, it's about quality, not quantity. And every minute that we get, that's why I always got had to create memories. Like, we got to create memories. I got to be teaching. I got to be pouring into you. I, I got to be uplifting you. I got to be inspiring you. Like, I got to always be doing this stuff with my daughter. Like, yesterday I was having a conversation. Yesterday, bro, I wanted to watch the, the new uh, Disney movie, Luca. My son didn't want to watch it. I said, you think I want to watch Luca? But I do that because I'm doing that so I can create those memories and I can spend time. I don't playing the PS4 and you kicking behind in the game. I don't do that. You don't like playing NBA Live, but I do that because it's time that I have it. So when you tell me my son already 12 and behaving like a teenager, he don't want to watch movies with me no more. Like, I think I'm a cool dude. I'm a cool 48-year-old. My, my son don't think I'm corny, but it's like, yo, he don't even want a movie with me. He get in the car, he on his phone, and I'm like, yo, we got five more years. It's going to go by like that, so you got to make count. So it's challenging, and it's disturbing and it's frustrating and it's hurtful to hear this just yesterday that my ex and her husband are bashing me and bashing my fiance and and really just you know um just painting this false picture and not even understanding the damage that that is having on children and i told my son this i spent a lot of time praying and my fear and my notice is going to the situation that my daughter that's seven years old, he going to have to give her, he going to have to make her woke because that's going to start stemming down to my daughter. And all I could do as a father, regardless of what anybody says to that, I said, feel my love. You feel my love. I'm always there. Whenever you meet me, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Like, you know me. And no, you can't challenge people, whatever, but you got to realize and understand what's real. You got to pray. If you got a question, you, got, you, you know, you, you, you answer, like, you, you ask me. Like, you ask me, be brutal honest. And I showed him yesterday because he's going away tomorrow to a, um, a two-week camp, all boys, in Thomas, PA. And I told him, I said, you know what? I said, God is always on time because this boy... Um, it was an essay that that was written, and he was talking about, and what came out was the things that sent email to my ex-wife and myself, and the and the and the essay was beautifully written. But he was talking about a kid that was depressed, about a kid that got in trouble, but about a kid that that um um is bad, like he makes mistakes. Not not bad. What what's the word? He's a bad kid because he makes mistakes. How his father warned him. Because that was twisted. And now this kid would have went to camp with that heaviness on him. But because I encouraged him to talk about it, now he knows the truth and he understands 
that, yo, my dad loved me. And I said, but God, I knew you was going away to camp. You know what I'm saying? Like, now you don't got to go away with that hurt. Now you can go away with peace of mind. Now you can go away with peace of understanding. Now, we still got stuff we got to deal with, son, but you deal with it spiritually, and you deal with it with open, honest conversation. You know, so it just was a blessing. Um, it's gotten better, that co-parent piece, but it's still hell. What I learned is to show you who you are. You got to believe. You always got to believe it no matter what's going on, no matter how much it improves. You got to create some healthy boundaries, and you got to maintain those healthy boundaries. Those boundaries have to protect your significant other if you're in a relationship. And and what you got to constantly be aware of is like you always got to stay connected with your children because they don't want to cause problems. Because whenever, and I learned this, whenever I, I would take things back, say, well, why this, why this? When they deny it, you know they're going to deny it. So now I'm, I'm old. Now I know. Now I understand how to move. Okay, that's what it is. I got to spend time building up my son. And my son, if it's anything that doesn't fall in line to what he sees, that's not consistent with what he sees, son, just come to me. Just come to me. So it's a challenge. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, they say that over time it'll get better. It has to a degree. I know we still got a long way to go. And, and my prayer is that it doesn't, the, the, the collateral damage that divorce has on children, that is minimal as possible. I want my son and my daughter, you know, to be all that God has called them to be. They're, called, they're amazing kids. Um, they're, they're personalities. They're talented. They're gifted. They're brilliant. But when you know, when, when, when you got trouble, when you got mental health and emotional health, that can derail your greatness if it's not handled the proper way. Absolutely. So, so let me say this. I want to say this. I was watching... Um, there was a special that was on and I, I, I saw it on my, my timeline, just in the nick of time. There was this platform about fatherhood and helping fathers, incarcerated fathers, uh, you know, matriculate back, not just into society, but into homes and into relationships with their children, right? So there was, it was this great panel um, full of doctors and pastors and things like that and community advocates. And Bishop um, David G. Evans from Bethany Baptist was on that um that panel that day and they were just talking about how so many people have put so much money and time and effort into helping men come out of jail get a job and get back into their children's lives but without that that vital piece because the the mother has been there raising these children all of this time so if you don't get mothers on board people have really literally boxed out the fact that the mothers are a huge piece in this whole thing because we don't know what mothers have been feeding children because we don't know how how much weight parents uh parent the mother holds and and the the success of the the relationship how you have to get the mothers in and how mothers have to be a part of the initial conversations and the regular sure. therapy in this situation and then I go back to, and he just kept on bringing up statistics. And while all of the other people on this panel were amazing because they were doctors and pastors and, and a bunch of different things out into society. One was a, a doctoral candidate, and this was a part of his, uh, his dissertation. Bishop David G. Evans was speaking from a space of, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. And this is how I had to shift my ministry over time based off of what it is that I see. What I what I heard 
on that panel that night then took me back to my opening monologue and how we, our hurt, our hurt and our interpretation of what has happened to us. Because I will be honest and say that sometimes we shift the narrative based off of how we're feeling. You know, we know what it exactly happened in our relationships. We do know that. But over time, the, the narrative starts to shift. It gets a little bit worse. You know, we become a little more victimized than we know we were. We played a part in this whole thing. And it takes me back again to my opening monologue where I said, ladies, we play a huge role in this. And I had to put it in my circumstance. I had to say how much my dad meant to me. I don't know all the specifics of what happened between my father and my mother. My parents separated when I was four months, never to get back together. I don't know. I know for sure all the struggles my father had over my lifetime. And whatever it was that my dad was, my dad was functional with it. So even when my dad, he got wrapped up in that crack phase, my dad was a functional that. And my dad was yeah. an alcoholic, but my dad was a functional that. And my dad went uh, went through a whole bunch of other phases, but my dad was always a functional that. And because my dad was a functional whatever he was, he still wanted to be there. So because of whatever him and my mom went through, he could not be in the home. But you could catch my dad at his apartment or wherever he was staying. And sometimes my dad even lived in like rooming houses where he had a room, but it was other people that lived there. So it was a little bit weird. But my dad, I can recall my dad fathering from that room. I can remind, I can remember those shared kitchens. It was a house on Haddon Avenue right across the street from the Salvation Army and the graveyard where we would go there. And my dad had his little time in that kitchen of that shared house. And my dad made the very best. He introduced me to ch cheddar cheese grits. Mm. And he would make that meal with those sausage links. And it would absolutely mean the world to us. Because I didn't know that my dad was a chef and I didn't know a whole bunch of things because the narrative that would come from my mother's my mother's mouth, my mother's heart and my mother's wounds was not the man that I knew. I knew. So it was me in my adulthood who had to then separate from what I was told, what my mom felt and get to know this person for myself. So, ladies, it is my plea to you, having told my story and listening to Al Hall's heart this morning that we let down what it is that we've gone through throw away whatever it is that we feel and stop using our influence to be negative in these children's lives they need their father again I say my mother and her fair skin self and her soft hair would never give me the definition that my father did it was my father that made me become so comfortable with my jet black skin. And it was my father who helped me to become so very comfortable with my thick hair and my thick lips and my thick nose. That's not what my mom looks like. We need our fathers. It's not just boys needing their fathers. Girls need their fathers. Fathers are boys first superhero and girls first love. We both need them. Don't just put dads away as, oh, you need to go stay with your dad because you're starting to buck up as a boy. Because I need to know how a man is supposed to treat me. And maybe if my father was a little more present or allowed to be a little bit more present, I wouldn't have been in some of the situations I was in. Let's just be honest. Because I would have known that a man was supposed to open a door and not just pull up outside and honk his horn. And just because he came around and he paid me some attention, I was not supposed to fall for that. Maybe my daddy would have had me a little more traveled.
So when somebody wanna take me to Atlantic City and motel it, you know, I wouldn't have fall, fell for that, for that little bit of attention. It's so many intricate pieces that fathers play. And I know that even in me and my children's father, me and my ex-husband, my two children are with him. And I know for sure that my children became pawns for a couple few seconds, just a couple few seconds until I had to flip it and recognize that what I didn't want my mother to be is what I was becoming. Hmm. I had to recognize exactly what my son needed him. My children look exactly like that man. I woke up every morning, regardless of whether the relationship was over, I was waking up to two little Bob faces every day. <laughs> and I knew for sure that they needed him. And ladies, we have to let, this is just my, my final monologue on this topic before I turn it back over to the fellas. But I need to, I, I opened up with that and then I listened to Al Hall's heart and what he's going through. And I, I needed to say that again in the middle of this show because maybe somebody logged on late and did not hear what I had to say. Ladies, if you are in fact a catalyst, any kind of barrier to your children having a relationship with their father, we need to go ahead on and, and, and begin therapy. We need to begin the healing process because those children are missing an intricate piece. My dad was jazz. My dad was poetry. My dad was spiritual. My dad was very well written. My dad is where I found who Alyssa really was. I needed him. So regardless of what happened with him and my mother, I didn't choose him, but he's still mine. And because you chose him, you need to then allow some kind of segue to make sure that your children get to know him so that they can understand him and get to know his family and get to know pieces of themselves. Please, ladies, if this is in fact you, I just need for you to reconsider. I'm not asking if in fact your child's father is harmful. If he's abusive, if he's on some things, if he's doing some things that will, will cause harm or danger to your children, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the ones who your feelings have gotten hurt because the relationship is over and he's now with somebody else. Life happens. And if so, you begin so, to heal, you can find you're somebody else. I want to say that. So. So, so, so Alyssa, I want to talk to ladies that, like you said, that they may feel convicted or may be able to relate to this. That when you have a scenario and you know that the children need their father, like, yeah, their rental schedule in place or, you know, in, in terms of every weekend or whatever those days are, but if there's an opportunity for the father to get more time, be open with that. Don't play games with your children when they ask to see their father. And you say, oh, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But you do that intentionally because you know they're going to forget about it or they don't want to ask you again because you're snappy with them. Or if it's a scenario where you know that they're out of school, why would you allow the father the, to be the last resort? You inconvenience your parents, your whoever, take them across town, but you got a father that got a flexible schedule, you got a father that's positive, you got a father that wants his children, and you don't even consider that. Like, it's supposed to be about the children. It's supposed, it's to, be supposed to be about the children. It absolutely children. is. It is. I, it definitely is supposed to be about day. the children. It definitely is supposed to be about the children. But this is a matter. This really is a matter of heart work. 
this is a matter of relationship, like unlearning some things and kind of moving closer into therapy, I believe. I think that this situation has gotten so far out of hand and we don't want the children to get hurt. So for, for anybody who is in fact listening, I need for you guys, I, I need for the, the whole package, all of it needs to happen. And I'm sorry that this is in fact happening to you, Al. I really am. I'm, I'm sad oh, that this yeah. is happening. Um, and it's bad. It really is bad. But we know for sure. We've seen it. I see how your little girl's little eyes light up and her little um, videos when she's singing her little song. Do, um, what is the name of that group? Um, uh, Jeanne. Jeanne. The group Jeanne. She performs right. hard when you turn on a Jeanne song. <laughs> so we, yeah. we really do appreciate your hustle and we appreciate your stay. Because sometimes it, it gets so heavy and so hard that men then walk away, leaving their children in these households where they're that are that are tainted. So I appreciate your stick and stay. Rob, I want to yeah. move on to Rob though. I want to talk about to Rob, who is an adoptive father. And then I want to come back to Chester about his co-parenting. Because I heard about how good you co-parent, because Tamika Smith has been putting up all kinds of stuff about you and co-parenting because you're not her biological father, but you would never leave her when you came to pick up um, Asante. So I want to talk to you about that. But Rob, first, I want to talk to you about um, adoptive um, father. Like how, why is it that you decided to move from, from the, the foster care to adoption? Well, uh, most organizations that you, you deal with, they kind of, I don't want to say push you, but they encourage you to foster care. Because at the end of the day, um, they always want the, the children to be uh, returned to the birth parents. So um, there's, there are there are times where kids immediately go right up for adoption, but that's usually where they've been in the system before and time after time. So um, uh, me and my wife uh, at the time we were trying to do it naturally, didn't happen. Um, so then we decided to get with a organization, uh, Bethany Christian Family Services, and they put us through the, the, the whole process, getting the house prepared, because now once you enter into um, foster care and adoption, now your, your house is pretty much open. You're going to have people coming in, inspecting it, coming in at two in the morning, DHS has to go check the beds has to check the refrigerator has, you know, so it's, it's a whole, um, um, you know, you open yourself up to, to a whole lot, but, uh, like hearing, hearing everyone's stories and, uh, the importance of fathers from my perspective with the adoptive and foster care systems, a, a large number of these kids have never even seen a man in their life. So they come into this house and I'm their first, you know, dad, first mom, you know, first, first father figure that they've ever even dealt with. Um, we've had kids that never have even taken a shower. It's always a bad, you put them in a shower and they freak out and they, you know, so a lot of times they come into your house and there's tons of firsts that they've experienced. First time, you know, even hugging a kid. That that's never been hugged. It's it's yeah. it's a different thing, and you know it immediately when you you know they they cry. You go to pick them up, and once once you put your hands down to to pick them up, 
they react because they've been abused. And so, so that's a whole process that you have to realize. Um, and uh, them that never seeing a father, never not not having a father in their life, like that, that is so important. Um, so by the time they leave here, or if they, you know, like my boys, um, my oldest son Quadir, he's never met his father. Jeremiah, he had a father. Or he has a father, but has uh, mental health issues. So it's hard to kind of, you know, he had no one really to talk to. So when they came into the house, it, it, you know, it was immediate like that I, that I recognized that. And naturally, boys go to the mom. You know, they're definitely still to this day mommy boys. But they they need that. Like when I grab Quadir and I hug him and I kiss him, he puts up a fight. But as soon as I, my lips touch his face, it's like, yes, this is this this is what I've been looking for. But you know, I don't want to sit here and tell because I want to be a tough guy. Mm-hmm. But you know, he and then Jeremiah, you grab him, and and all the kids that that have come through here, um, it's it's just been so great. And I and I feel like when if they do leave, I know that I I had an impression, even if they're young. Perfect example. Um, Hadassah, who's here now, um, not through the system. She just, we just have a relationship with her birth mother. Um, she's here now. When when she actually left, she was here 18 months. They returned her back to her mother. So my my one piece, my one solace was she's only 18 months. She's not going to know who I am. She's not going to remember me. So let me get over it. Let me go cry for a little while and let me get over it. And then I want to say six months later, my wife connected with the birth mom through Messenger. So they went on video. I hear her voice and I she hears my voice. I say, Hadassah. And that little girl was like, Daddy, Daddy. And then once again, now I'm crying because I'm like, oh, she remembered me. So, you know, so she went from, you know, us having her at birth for just for 18 months, 18 month old little little child. Now she's about two years when I reconnect with her, but she remembered me. So how important fathers are is, you know, amazing, especially for little girls. You know, I got my oh, well, when you when, while you're telling this story, it makes me think of. Because I brought you on from the fatherhood, um, from the adoptive father perspective. Mm-hmm. But clearly you fathered, not not fathered as in make biological children, but you fathered and championed tons of children's lives. All of yeah. the children who have come through your house. It's like you're a football coach. You know how people yeah. like uh, Malcolm Bird is on here talking about what Rashawn Hornsby has meant to him. But Rashawn Hornsby is talking about what Orlando Pettigrew meant to him right. because of the coaching. And I know um, my children's father is a football coach. And I can recall, I saw his speech when he was inducted into the South Jersey Hall Football Hall of Fame. And I know um, a part of his speech was, um, I want to just, I want to tell my family that I love and appreciate you guys because basically y'all turned me over so that I can father and be a father or father figure to all of these other children at the cost of y'all. Because I was absent doing what it is that I love to do. I was probably more there for them 
physically more there for them than I was even around for you guys. So he apologized, but then thanked his family for allowing him to be that. And for, for that, it's like you in this situation. And, and just because of the way that you're describing it, especially when the baby heard your voice, it was like, you are that. You are what Malcolm Bird is saying that Rashawn Hornsby was to him. And then what Rashawn Hornsby said that Orlando Pettigrew was to him. So I thank you for mm -hmm. that because that's amazing. That is absolutely yeah, that's, amazing. Knowing, because that's awesome. That's awesome. Knowing, knowing that the importance is knowing, like, cause there's a lot of people that do this for money. Yeah, we are we are compensated for for kids. They come in, they call it a stipend. Um, so a lot of people do that for money. We've we've seen we've gone to events and you see that. But knowing that, uh, and I didn't know it doing it originally when when Quadir and Jeremiah, who are now my my sons, have my last name. We've adopted them. Um, when they came the first time, it was almost like they were teaching me a lesson too. So I had to kind of learn. But once I learned how important me and my wife are with these kids, once you break down that barrier, you know, because when they come in here, they're coming with issues. They're coming with, you know, imagine being pulled out of your, your home at two in the morning and placed in a house that you've never been in before. You know, well, never all of your things in a trash bag Every, because that's that's well, normal, too. Not, they don't not even have luggage. We've had yeah, we've had kids. They've come with the clothes on their back and that's it. Hmm. Like I've gone to Walmart at four in the morning and, you know, gotten the, the little tights and the little T-shirts and, the, and the, the dresses and all that pampers formula. You know, um, they tell you when you go to to uh, um, to be certified and all that, we're going to be here for you. We're going to support you in every way we can until they have to drop a kid off at two in the morning and they want to go home because that social worker is so burnt out because they have 50 other cases hmm. and you know, I'm sure, you know, you're, you're a social worker. So they just, here you are. We know this is a great home. You guys have experience. We drop, don't off. Have to drop off. Yep. Here you go. There are some more. houses that you're just like, I got to drop off because I need to go home and be a mom to my kids. Exactly. Because they have kids. Absolutely. Too, so, so we all know that, but knowing that, knowing now, um, I, I, so the heartbreaks that I have when the kids leave is, um, it's almost like a, now I kind of look at it like, okay, the parent got themselves together. They made some mistakes. Maybe they needed this break. They got their life together. They have housing now. They have a job. The system is supporting them. The kids go back and, and, and you know, fairy tale the end. So that's how I kind of look at it now. Um, but it's, it's, I know for a fact that, that the father is so important in this you know mothers are mothers are mothers we all know mothers like we no doubt about that but you know a lot of times the misconception of a father is oh he has to go to work he has to provide he has to do this and then that's it and that's all the dad is supposed to do well no it's, it's not like that because sitting in that chair and those kids come in from school or they come down the steps and to, just to see you there and be there is so important it's so important so and then my my advantage of having a biological daughter and me and her mother not being together since she was little, like I never had to go to court. I never had to do child support, never did the custody thing. I had my daughter. I never 
her mother never had to call me and say, hey, we need sneakers. We need this. We need that. Because I knew what my daughter needed. Mm -hmm. So that was a great blessing to have that. Um, like we never beefed. We never had any kind of issues. I could call her right now on the phone. And we're civil. We're still good friends. So I was blessed that. Because maybe she can teach a, um, a, 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 a workshop. For all the other women, maybe she can show us how. Because when we were we young, never had beef or anything like yeah. that's super dope. Yeah, we were young, so you would think you know some of those uh, uh, you know kids that are immature, these younger people now. Oh, I'm not with him. I'm going to do that. Like she was, she was 16. I I just turned 18 when my daughter was born. Uh, so we were young. We didn't know what we were doing, but we knew at the end of the day that the most important thing, or at least I did, was my daughter. I mean, she saved I my life. To, I want to no. talk to um, Nyeri and Chester. I want y'all to bounce off of each other, talking about co-parenting, because Nyeri is co-parenting from, um, and he's my bi-coastal parent, my bi-coastal father that I was talking about, because he's here in New Jersey. His father, I mean, his son, his son is here with him now, but his son lives in um, Las Vegas. And then Chester, your daughter is just telling us all kinds of stories. We didn't heard the Red Lobster story where you ordered all the way <laughs> where Beak had to slide her some money to fit the bill because you ordered a little bit of everything off the menu. And she's just talking about just who you were, even as her biological father. So I want to talk, I want to, I want you guys to talk to and bounce off of each other about um, co-parenting. And I, before you guys start, I want to say that I got t-shirts for y'all made. Um, and it says father, provider, protector, and superhero. And I'm going to make sure that y'all get it. And it has Wilds Worldwide on the, on the sleeve to let y'all know that it came from me. Don't ever try to forget me. <laughs> so I have t-shirts for y'all that I want to make sure that y'all get because I want y'all to wear this um, this weekend. Because this is, for, this is for you guys. Because I truly do appreciate you guys. And I appreciate and I chose you guys because I know not only are you doing it. But you're doing it well, and you are you are um, you have no problems with admitting when I have not been right, when I have been there wrong. But I'm still trying to shift the narrative and change the narrative. So I just thank God for you guys, and I thank God for your yes. And no, the conversation is not over. But I just wanted to let you guys know that I was thinking about you guys. I want to begin to give gifts for all of the dope people that come on my show, and I it began with you guys. So now I want to talk to Chester and Nyeri about um, about uh, co-parenting. What does co-parenting look like for you? And how did you become the master of it, you, Chester? Well, I think um, something that was touched on more, more than a few times this morning was how both parents need to get past their feelings for each other and to put put the um onus on just making sure that the children are happy and well adjusted mm -hmm. and that was never a struggle for me thank god because you know my wife you know she's now my wife but for so many years she was my, my baby mom and mm -hmm. you know when, when she was when she was my baby mom she never held the kids back from me. She never talked bad about me to the kids. She, she didn't do a lot of those things that a lot of uh, 
no, I don't know. I don't even know what the percentage is, but we know that it happens, and that sometimes a, a disgruntled ex will, you know, will put those roadblocks in the way of the relationship, and 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 um, you know, I'm that was the the greatest blessing was that I didn't have that. I had a, I had an ex that would give me the kids whenever I wanted them, would bring them to me because you know I was always working two jobs. You know, if I was working at Ponderosa Steakhouse, she'd show up with the kids at Ponderosa Steakhouse and just sit in my section and eat a meal, and I'd get a chance to interact with them when I was at work or something like that. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, yeah, she's she's a dope woman, but you you know, I like my bestie, so you, you know you know that already. But so I mean, yeah, that's my girl. <laughs> so what that that gave me an opportunity to just you know, it that that made that easy. You know that was that was the easy button for that because I had a I had an ex that was one hundred percent about making sure that I was able to be in the, in, the, in the lives of my kids and you know you know it was, it was no different. I seen my daughter talk about um, how I'm not a biological dad, but I was you know was there like a biological dad, but I I forget that. She's not my biological child because that's dope. You know, she 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 adopted me when she was three years old, like you know, and 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 that was an honor. And I always had to try to live up to that honor of that beautiful little girl loving me. So, you know that that made it all worthwhile. That's dope. That's dope. She adopted me at three years old, and I had to live up to that honor. That's so freaking dope. That's dope. Nayeri, tell us about your co-parenting experience. Um, my co-parent experience was it was it's like a it was a roller coaster. You know, um it was up and down. Uh both of us is in a situation where we don't know the outcome. And I learned that there was no set stone blueprint on co-parenting. Everybody in every situation is different. And everybody has to figure out what works for them. You know, um, in the beginning, you know, you have and you listen to family members or friends. And at the end of the day, what they may go through is only you can't take everything that their situation or their advice and just implement it and, and, and make sure because that their situation worked with them. And that matter doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in your matter. Um, so I had to learn to listen, but not, you know, go a hundred percent into where it's like, oh, they do this, so we should do this, or this works for them, so maybe this works for us. And that's not sense because we're all different characters and all individuals. Um, I definitely had to sit back and realize in 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 the middle of things is like what are the expectations, you know. Um, my expectations may be different than, you know, my son's mother's expectations, you know, which she thinks, which, which, which she thinks a father should be, or, or, uh, you know, should, should, should do. I may not believe the same thing, you know, and that's where it comes in confusion, you know, cause, uh, if you don't find a, a common ground, on the expectations of what you what you think should be doing, then you're always going to bump heads, and that was what my I would say in the beginning our our uh, I guess to say our our uh, challenges of of coming to common grounds 
in the expectations. You know, um, in our situation, um, it's getting better now. I mean, as we're as as my son is getting older, um, I was more so coming from a standpoint of my thought process was, hey, uh, if we're not together, you know, um, and I am here providing for my son as much as I can, knowing that we're not together, then it really shouldn't be any, you know, issues. It was like a simple black and white for me. You know, it's like, hey, you have, a, cause, and, and, and rightfully so, it's still my own experience because like I said, it's all in what I perceive about it because I look around my surroundings and, and I see so much, um, I wanna say dysfunctional homes where I see that in my work field, you know, if, I, if I, I see that around. So it's like, damn, they're so dysfunctional. In my situation, it's way better than their situation. You know, um, I always say now, my son is five years old. I have done more for my son than my biological father has ever done for me in the first five years of his life. You know, so when I look back at that, I'm like, oh, well, this is, and I had to look at that like, listen, I feel as though that I'm doing good, you know, that I am doing the best that I can possibly do under the circumstances that we're not in the same state, you know. And from outside affirmation, when people look at that, it's like, um, it made me open my eyes because I had my own family member. My cousin was sitting there talking to me. He was like, yo, cuz, you're doing the damn thing. Like, I know dads that live around the corner from their kids. Absolutely. And don't see them as much as you see your son. Like you make sure if you, you know, that you go and go see your son. You fly across the country to go see your son. Where some dads don't even go around the block, you know, to go see their son. You know, um, and that's where I would say the the it, it helped me out. It made me feel, it made me feel, you know, good. And I did have to set aside what my son's mother on her her i had to sit aside what she believes a father should be because at certain times i'm like i'm never going to meet your expectations if you desire something that i know i can't get you know if someone desires me to be in the household with there and that's not going to happen or if it's never going to happen we're us being together in the same household i'll never amount up to what you have and your expectations of that you know, um, rightfully so. So when I set aside that and my mental, it made me, it, it helped me out personally. Just in flourish after that point. Yeah, yeah, everything. It was like, okay, I'm not, because it was a hardship. You know, I felt bad. You know, some things would be said to me in a, in a, in a way, and I'm like, like, like if it's, I don't care, or I should be doing more, or you should be doing this, and you should be doing that. And I'm like, oh, well, under these circumstances, I believe that my son is and has the best support that he can have. You know, I am a call away. I will hop on the plane at any given moment. You know, he has loving family members, you know, that's very supportive. You know, everything that we we that I see that some others may fall short. I'm like, my son actually is game is, is doing well 
you know, um, I interject right here. I want to say that this is what this month is all about. Nairi said mm -hmm. that he hops on a flight and goes smooth across the country to be exactly what his son needs him to be and to attend events. And when the child's mother calls, he's there. When some fathers won't even go around the corner, he's hopping on a flight to go all the way five hours away on a flight five hours away. So I say that this month is exactly about that, ch changing the narrative. Because when you think about black fathers, when you talk about inner inner city fathers, be it black or white, because my home light skin Rob up there is from my hood. So, you know, Rob, Rob is a product of the same streets and environments that we that I am from. But when you talk about inner city fathers, when you talk about black fathers or brown fathers, you oftentimes get the narrative of the one that won't go around the corner. <laughs> Nobody is talking about the one that'll catch a flight in an instant and go all the way across the country. Nobody's talking about the Rob Tufnells who have allowed countless children into their home. Nobody's talking about the Jamison Fort, who is the girl dad that stay in the course, that's hardcore defending his family, the three women that he that he has elected and, and birthed and, and nurtured and care and cares for. Nobody's talking about him. Nobody's talking about the Algernon Hall who is battling for the love of his children. Nobody's talking about the Rashawn Hornsby, who not only had his own four biological children, but then took his brother in to make sure that his brother had the covering that their father couldn't give them because he was incarcerated again. And nobody's talking about the Michael Chester, who in fact um, was adopted by his daughter. She adopted him and he felt like he needed to live up to that. Nobody's talking about that. And that's exactly what the month of the man on Wilds Worldwide is about, to shift the narrative, to change the narrative and stop believing Stop believing what the media is putting out there to you guys. Stop believing the narrative like our fathers are just not there. Because I uh, started this conversation talking about how my father was not in the home, but my father was every single thing to me. My father was not missing. He was just not in my household. So do you just throw the whole narrative away that my father is involved because he doesn't live at the same address that I live in? No, we need to shift this narrative. We need to be able to have conversations and talk about how hard these fathers are battling, how much they want for their children, and how even if it's not my brother I needed to bring into my house to give him the covering that I could, my father couldn't give because he was incarcerated, but the coaches and the mentors who are fathering from the outside, who are fathering on the field and on the court, who are fathering from you know uh, mentoring agencies, they are doing great things. So I do want to shift the narrative because when Nayeri said people are talking about how he'll catch a flight, but somebody won't walk around the corner. It's more of them. And check our statistics. Check the statistics. Statistics tell you that more of our children's fathers are around than not. Absolutely. But they will take a situation and blow it up and play it up. And because we get so much negative press, you just ride out on that thing. But I'm telling you, if you check the statistics, if you check uh uh welfare statistics if you talk if you check statistics about father's involvement we are on the winning hand of that we are on the up of that we're doing far better than what people are telling them the world about us so this month and this panel is about the dope dads that we don't get to hear about miss wise we want to badger them go ahead Brashan. i'm sorry 
No, 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 no. You good? I, I want to. I want to say. I just want to, because I know we're, we're we're bigging up the kids and shout out to all the fathers on here. I just want to shift the narrative a little bit. It's just on my heart. I want to just come with some from a different perspective on 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 a through love to all the men. I want to. So I just want to shout out my fathers that raised me. All the men. All the men on here. Happy Father's Day. All my brothers. Everybody I deal with. I know some amazing dads like amazing amazing dad shout out to my boy eric raising his four sons my brothers just a, a ton of amazing men coach smiley coach orlando coach b new all these men that i i do i know that are amazing but i just want to say i know it's me being a father i was a dad at 17 years old so i was a dad young right so and i feel like i wasn't a dad that i wanted to always be a super dad because i i knew what a father was like for my stepfather but i knew the things that I didn't have from my biological father. And I knew things that I wanted to do better that I might've seen my stepfather do, right? So when I became a dad at 17, my only goal was just to be this super dad. I wanted my son to look at me as his everything. Like I wanted to be his everything. So when my son was born, he was three pounds, uh, 13 ounces. He was about a month and a half premature. I was 17 years old. I was in a hospital. He got out of the, ho out of the hospital in three weeks. I was a dad. I wanted to know everything. I didn't leave his side. I wanted to do everything right. And in doing that, I was a young dad, had my daughter. I got married at 21 years old and I had a family young. That's all I did. I didn't get to party, go out, you know, mess up. It would be with different women. Right now, at 40 years old, I'm only in my second relationship that I've ever had in my lifetime. So I was in one relationship from 15 to the time I was 38 years old. So to the time I got divorced. So in doing that, I feel like, in that whole process, because I feel like my kids went through a whole roller coaster. Like it was crazy for me going through my divorce. It was something that I never thought I would ever experience. Um, some of the things that happened to me, I would have told you were a liar if, they, if uh, I had to bet that those things happened. But just to all the men out there, I want to say to you, I don't know if you can relate, but I know for me, when I was a dad at 17, getting married at 21, and really just giving my all to my family. We do that a lot, right? And I feel like when I was going through my divorce, I was going through so many things. I was like bottom. Like, I feel like that was probably one of the lowest points in my life. Not just the fact that I was divorcing from my wife. It was my kids. It was my, it was so many different forces I was being pulled from. And I couldn't see, I couldn't see my future like at all. So in going through it, I was like, damn. So I had to turn back to God because I didn't understand why I was going through this, right? And when I finally figured out why I went through everything, like, why did, is this happening to me? I understood. It was because I put God last and I put me last. Because as a father, I put God first and then I put my family and my kids and I put myself last. I'm supposed to put myself before them. I put myself last. So as men, I know for me, I, only, only, I thought the only thing I was supposed to do was protect and provide. It was times I didn't buy my, my kids had everything, all the clothes, go here. It was times I wouldn't go anywhere all summer. It was times I would go all year with one pair of jeans. My kids have tons of clothes. I would. It took me six years at one point before I bought a pair of sneakers. I would look at myself, my friends on social media going out. I was in the house depressed because I didn't have clothes. I didn't want to go. I didn't, I didn't even feel good about my own self. I was like, damn. I thought I was ugly, overweight, didn't look good. I felt like, and I was out in the community every day, helping people, helping kids, Rashawn. Everybody thought my life was so good, but I was like at my bottom, like just in my life because I didn't love me. I didn't love myself. So when I went through my divorce, it was because I was I was looking for love for Rashawn. And the way I went about it, I heard a lot of people. But what God had to show me was 
He was like, Rashawn, all these people you you love and you put in front of yourself, they, I'm going to show you how they're going to all turn their backs on you. Them kids that you love and to die for and you give everything in your world as them kids, I'm going to show you how kids, you've never been an absent father. You've seen all your kids come out the womb, every doctor's appointment, I'm every dentist appointment, every every report card, every nothing I've missed in my kid's life. And I watched my kids treat me like I was a dude that showed up and being missing after 50 years going through my divorce. And it broke my heart. It broke me down. Broke me down. It was to the point where I just have a relationship now with my grandson. My grandson's going to be two years old. I miss my whole, my grandson's whole first year of living going through my divorce because my son was pissed at me, right? So I miss my grandson's whole first year. I'm talking about not birthday party, not at the hospital. It was to the point where I couldn't even see him. If I would come around, my grandson would get covered and taken out the room so I couldn't see him. I couldn't have a picture of my grandson. And this is a dad that prided himself on being a super dad. So God showed me, like, let me show you. I'm talking about your brothers, the woman that you currently with, your ex, your mom, everybody. I'm going to show you how you're going to be alone. How? What is it, Job, that God took everything from? He took everything from me. Everything. I was by myself. Because you know what I did? I put me last and I put God last. So I'm telling you, as men, we can't do that. We got to love. In order for us to be great fathers, great husbands, great uncles, great, we got to love ourselves. I didn't love me. Because sometimes you get so caught up in loving everybody else, you forget about you. And I tell you all right that now, usually, don't that usually comes from the mouth of women. Don't forget and about so I'm you. I'm happy to hear that. So I'm, I'm sure because us as men, we supposed to be these robots, right? Like we don't cry. We don't get upset. Nothing hurts. We don't have feelings. No, that's false. That's false. I'm so insecure. My worst, my worst fear used to be not being a good dad. So if my kids were unhappy, I thought that I did something wrong. If my ex-wife was unhappy, I thought I was doing something wrong. So everybody's unhappiness, I put on me. And some of the shit, most of the shit had nothing to do with me. So I'm walking around taking everybody else's energy. Like, yo, what else can I do? So every day you're trying to be better. Every day you're measuring. It's like an endless checklist as a father and as a man, as a provider, that I thought that it was like, damn, Sean, you have to be perfect. I couldn't make no mistakes. No, I'm a human. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to mess up. And I hope my, my son now, as being a father, he understands that. I hope my daughter is being older. She understands that now. And I like, now our relationship is coming back to where it should have never left from. But I feel like we can make it better, right? I have a relationship with my grandson. But I had to go through that storm in order to be, I feel like, the man that I am today. And I feel like I'm a better man and a better father than I could have ever been to my kids if I didn't go through what I went through because I lost Rashawn. Like, I really I had to find myself and know who I Because I, I cared about everybody else. I cared about what's the community going to think if I'm not together with my ex-wife? What's my family? I watched family members get mad at me because I made a choice for me to be happy. Like, like people thought, like, you were, like, I'm controlled by other people that's, that, that's not living in my life, that didn't even live in my house. You care, and I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, but I hope if one person can, I, I did my job. But you care about all these other exterior forces about your relationship and your life. And these people, I look up like, these people don't even call me. These people don't even come to my house. But I'm worrying about the opinions of others, and I'm putting my happiness last, and it's making me a bad person. I, I could be a better father if I'm happy. Right. And I watched as soon as I started being happy, my kids noticed it. My daughters were like, 
I know my dad was doing something. She says it now. She's like, because you start caring about yourself. You start cutting your hair. You start working out. You start. So why did it take for me? Right. And I said, think it was the woman that I was with that was making me happy. No, it wasn't her. It was me. I was making myself happy. You know why? Because I was doing what I wanted to do. Because I was loving myself. I felt good about myself. I had my confidence back. Right. I had my swag back and it was me that made me happy. Can't no woman make you happy. Can't a man make you happy. You got to make yourself happy. And that's what I'm that learning. In fact, the truth. Every I want to say this for Sean. I want to say this. Keith, on our first episode of the month of the man, we were talking about manning your mental. Hmm. And Keith talked about this exact same thing about how the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Yeah. So we need to, in fact, like, and how y'all feel like robots because that day there were so many men in the comment section and it was at one point and I earmarked it. It was like minute 22, minute 52, minute one, one hour and 10 minutes. I still remember this because that episode was so extremely dope. So I want people to go back and watch it because he got on this run and the comments started to go ballistic, but he was just talking about how men are not just that how men really are, you guys have feelings and how we as women, we need to make y'all leave out of the house every morning with your chest pumped up. Like we need to make y'all feel like superheroes going out the door because the world is going to deflate you. And he got into this rant where he said, you know, where the, the, when they in fact need extra things that they're not getting at home, that's when the bars and the strip clubs and, and the side pieces come into play because men need somebody that's going to push their heads up when we're pushing their heads down. When we're hammering you guys about life, there's somebody who's going to make you feel better or there's a vice that's going to make you feel better. So it is our job to stroke your egos and it is our job to make you feel like you are the greatest man in the whole world, leaving out into the world every single morning because the world is going to hammer you. So you don't want to be in a space and come back home to a space where you're getting hammered like the rest of the world. Everybody deserves to have a safe space. You deserve to have a, a place of peace and calm where you can come and lay all of your burdens down. And that is a part of our responsibilities, ladies. That is our responsibilities. It's a couple of you little, little knowledge nuggets. I'm coming from me and some things that I faltered on. I know for sure the role that I played in the demise of relationships that I was in. I know it and I'm open and I'm honest about that. I have no problem with my transparency. But ladies, I do want you to know that in listening to him, we don't oftentimes hear because men don't oftentimes feel like um, vulnerable, vulnerable enough. Yeah. And we know for sure from Keith Stark, he talked about vulnerability requires a, a great level of trust. Yes. And if they can't trust you enough to be vulnerable because you want them put it in their face or you taking um, you holding little scorecards. So as soon as you allow them to be vulnerable in a moment, but as soon as you need a barrage of bullets to shoot back on them to make them feel crazy, you throw back all that stuff that they shared in their vulnerability. Yeah. We need to, in fact, do all of the things that they need us to do. We're requiring a lot and we need for them to have all of the things that they need. It can be one sided. When we talk about reciprocity, it needs to go both ways. We can't just demand some things and then not give it back. We they need us. They're speaking out this month. They're talking about what what is breaking their hearts. They're talking about the things that they need. And this is what this month is supposed to be about. And this platform is just about that. We hear from their hearts. You know, when Rob was talking about just how important this was when the, when the child heard his voice, when Rashawn is talking about losing himself 
and, and the whole world beating him up, even though he did what he was supposed to do. When we think about Nairi, you know, her expectations of what he should be, even though she's not a mother and ain't never going to be a father. She's talking about what her expectations of what he should be, should be to his child. We don't know what his child would need. We got to move and sway to what our children's needs are. We can't be starch and stoic based on what our thoughts are but, or what social media is teaching us. We got to sway and bend and stretch and fold according to what people's needs are because my needs are ever growing and ever evolving. So we have to trust that our children's needs and our mates' needs are going to be the same. So ladies, listen to their hearts and what they're saying. I do want to talk to Fort now. I want to talk to Fort because he is our girl dad. And I want to know, because you now have a house full of women, sir, how, what is fathering like from that perspective? When you, when you are a man that has had fun and has done some things, what, what does fathering look like when, as a girl dad? Um, so I'm definitely going to answer that question, but like, I don't want to leave the topic we were just on. I want to mm -hmm. No doubt. Because we're on this, like, you know, we're changing the narrative. Um, and so something I want to toss into that, um, kind of toss into that category of changing the narrative. The fact that children, children learn no matter what. Right? Children are, you know, they say kids are sponges. Um, yes, baby, you're a sponge. Um, they're constantly learning. But everything they see, whether it's good, bad, pretty ugly, they're seeing it, they're witnessing it, witnessing it, and then they are they're making sense of it, right? Um, and so we've been talking a lot about like the role of the father, um, the part that mothers play in the role of the father. But a big piece that I want to point out is the fact that um, the relationship is just as important as the role of the father or the role of the mother as individuals, right? Um, we as adults, we know this firsthand. Nobody's an expert in relationships until they get into it and go through the ups and downs, right? Um, I talk about this. Um, nobody's an expert on these things that are so important to our lives. Like nobody's an expert on marriage. Um, nobody's an expert on dating. Nobody's an expert on parenting um, until they go through the process of doing it for themselves, right? Um, but something that I gotta highlight, something that I think seldom gets talked about is the fact that our children watch the relationships we have. Our children fashion their relationships after the relationship. So it might not even be me, or it might not be my wife, but it might be the way that me and my wife relate that fashion the relationship that my daughters are gonna have at some point. You get what I'm saying? You, uh, while you talked about um, the standards that you were willing to accept, and how if your father was more active, those standards might have been different, right? Um, I think about if you watch your father open the door to your mother, or you watch the way they relate and you watch certain um, examples of love and certain examples of support as a child, um, those are gonna be the role models. Those examples are gonna be the things that you fashion your experiences with another person after. So I think just as important as myself or my wife as individuals, it's um, important to be that example in the relationship. And now that's way, way, way easier said, right? Because, you know, 
everybody's relationship with their counterparts, people they have children with, is different. Um, but it's something that I feel like everybody should be mindful of. Be mindful of the fact that how you relate to uh, the the image you portray with your counterpart is something your kids are watching too. Um, it's not just about what we do as individuals and what we say. Um, it's also what we do together. Now, to get to the answer uh, or answering the question about um, what it's like for me going from a savage to a girl, right? Um, <laughs> I, um, thank goodness my wife knows me too. Um, like, I was a terrible boyfriend, terrible counterpart, cheated on most of the girls I've dealt with. Like, uh, you see how they say, like, you know, the players can be doing that with girls. I probably will, probably um, am an example of it, right? Um, but I feel like I wasn't good, right? There was not a doom, it was like it was a blessing to have my girls. Um, because anybody can attest to it, like, children, children force you to become the best version of yourself you can be. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a girl or boy. Uh, you become an example. Uh, Rashawn pointed it out. He was 17. And he was like, yo, I'm about to hit. Like, he ain't lived his life yet. He hasn't done anything yet. But he's like, yo, I'm about to be the one. I'm going to raise this kid. I'm going to pour in every little bit that I can I'm gonna learn stuff to bring back to pour more in. Right? Uh, because it is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of volume. There's a lot of weight put on you. Moments you're like responsible for it, right? Um, and then the dynamic is different too, like getting into the difference between a girl and a boy. I don't know what it's like to have a husband, um, but I know what it's like to to have a daughter and be and grow up in a house full of boys. Like I grew up with two brothers and then a baby sister, right? Um, the energy is different when you look. Like, I can do that unfiltered, like, you know, I don't got to be manly of love. Like, it really is a, oh, my God, my baby. Like, you hear more high shots from me once I had girls than you ever hear in my entire life. Like, when I do that, ah! Like, that, that tone didn't exist before I did my first story. But it's okay to do that because it's a baby and it's a girl and I'm going to play certain ways that we're going to do things because that's my little girl, right? And I'm going to pour in energy that and tap into things in me that I probably never tapped in before because I'm busy being a fan, right? You know, the notion that you got to be masculine, you got to carry yourself and stuff, you know that. Um, it honestly is free. It's free and it just, you know, be able to just focus on focus on your baby girl. And in this case, my baby girl, you see this little one with me. And then be mindful of the fact that you have to not just be, you have to be, um, I can't just be yeah, the provider or somebody who brings home the business. I need to be every part of my children's lives. They need to be able to continue to play with me. They need to be able to uh, tell me when to do something else. Um, they need to follow and fashion what they do and how they understand the world based on what I present. You know what I mean? And that's a full-time thing. That's every moment of every day, whether I'm around or not, um, I'm on the clock when it comes to parenting. Um, I'm on the clock when it comes to being a father. And 
I try my darndest not to do the whole, you're a girl, so you you run like a girl, or you play a sport like a girl, or you miss me with that, because my daughters are going to face a whole lot of nonsense in the world, and they're going to have a whole lot of expectations placed on them um, because of their gender, because they're black, and because of every other prejudice we can come up with, um, and they're not going to get it here. But I mean, I'm going to build them up and make create warriors before they see the world because they got a lot of they got a lot of shit to handle when they get out. You know what I mean? So my babies are going to be soldiers, but they're also going to be dainty. They're also going to be emotional. They're also going to be able to do all of it. And the last thing I'm going to say with this is they're going to be entitled to shit. Excuse me if there's like kids or people watching this shit with hurts, but they're going to be entitled. Um, something that I think I talked to you about a year, two years ago. Wow, that's crazy. Um, something I said was, yo, my kids are ungrateful and I'm good with them. Like, my kids are entitled because my daughter, um, like most of the stuff she gets, she takes for granted, but most of the stuff she gets, she's like, would have never had. Like, I didn't, like, me, my experience is like, my life didn't provide, or you know, my upbringing, I didn't get the same stuff. And I talk about like, you know, she takes for granted that she's never been in a train or a public transportation. Like she never like um, we went to, I think we were on Philly at some point, maybe like a couple of months ago. And she's like, Yo, why is that person out there with a sign? Daddy, why aren't they at home? I'm like, Well, they they're probably homeless. And it occurred to me in that conversation that like, that's the first time she had seen a homeless person in real life. Yeah. And I had to explain to her what a homeless person was, right? Um, the experience is different because that's commonplace. That's commonplace. I knew all about all of that. Um, but getting to the point, my daughter's going to be entitled, and it's okay because there's no reason that because she's a little black girl, she's supposed to do a daily struggle or rise and grind, or you got to work extra hard to X, Y, Z. Like, She's gonna have things that most kids, if I can help it, my girls are gonna have things that most kids can't have. And they're not gonna feel special about it. They're gonna feel like that's what it's supposed to be. They're gonna expect it. And that's just gonna be the way life is instead of being the whole, I used to walk 17 miles in the sand and in the snow to get to school. You gotta do it. You have no idea with all of that. My babies are gonna be school. They're gonna take things for granted. And when they hit adulthood, they're gonna be prepared to perpetuate their lifestyle. They're gonna have the tools to continue that life and rely on a man for it, not rely on anybody else for it because they have established themselves. They're gonna have businesses, they're gonna have bank accounts, they're gonna have good credit, all those financial foundational things that I didn't have and I learned the hard way. Um, they're gonna walk into life with it. You get what I'm saying? So, like, and again, this is not gender specific. Of course, I just nuanced for a little bit with the girls, but you know, this is the same thing if I had a son, like the same energy. Um, these are just things that you know I didn't have and wish I did, then my girl would not, you know, and I'll leave it at that. I think that's I, I commend you on that, brother Jameson, because you, you 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 gave me a little sigh of relief because that's just how my, my children are, all four, and then. My, my oldest daughter, which is 19, my daughter Shanti, I feel that she's like, I don't have to worry about my daughter. I feel like she's going to be 
she's going to be great. Like, I don't, like, I don't worry about her being with the man. I know she's going to go get her own. She's always been that way. And it's like, even with my son, the way that he, he fathers my grandson, I know that it makes, it, it lets me know that I did a great job with him that, you know, me and his mother raised him right because he's a, he's an awesome father. So my grandson wants for nothing. I see the love that my grandson gets. He's filled with love. And that's because my son always had love. And like you said, they're entitled and, <laughs> I thought I was wrong for that because I feel like my two older kids are like entitled, but like listening to your your philosophy on it, like my daughter, it makes me feel a little better, you know, her entitlement because I did set that bar, you know, so high, you know, of giving her everything that she wants. My daughter's a daddy's girl, you know, so it's like looking at your daughter sitting on your lap, like that's with me with my two daughters, you know, so and it's like my sons, as a man, you want them to be strong and independent, you know. And, uh, you know, my daughters, I want them to be the same way. But, you know, my son's both, you know, well, my oldest son is like, you know, like a mom, like a mama's boy. But uh, my daughters are both, I feel like daddy's girls and mainly my my oldest daughter, you know. So, you know, that sense of entitlement, I think, can go a, can go a different way, maybe because that's how my daughter is. Like she feels entitled, but she's willing to work and go get what it is that she wants. So, you know, she's not waiting for somebody to hand it to her. She's going to go just, just like with my son, you know, he's going to go get what he needs for himself and his family. So, you know, because of the expectations and the way that they were raised. So you made me feel a little better in, in the way you said it. Cause I used to just, I used to get mad at myself. Like, damn, I made my kids entitled. They just think the world's supposed to give them everything. Cause you spoil them and you want to give them everything. You know, my mom used to, used to be, shout out to my mom. I just want to say, I know it's about the father, but shout out to my mom to hearing, um, wiles and brother hall was going through like, you know, my mom never did that. She was like really an awesome, awesome mom. She never told me anything bad about my father. So shout out to all the mothers that, you know, opened the door. My father was welcome. Like I said, my father, the only reason why I didn't have a relationship with my dad is because he didn't choose that relationship. My stepfather, my mom, they welcomed him. My mom, I mean, never put a bad thing in my head about my father. So, you know, shout out to my mom and all the mothers that, you know, aren't standing in the way of their children having having fathers. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to shout out. Shout, Go shout. ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish your thought, Rashad. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just, I said, I just wanted to just, you know, shout everybody out. You guys, this was a was a great conversation. I just want to say, oh, you guys are awesome. I just wanted to say that. Most definitely. This before definitely. you, um, because I want to give everybody an opportunity. I want to end this out soon because we're almost at two hours. But I want to, based off of what was just said, I want you guys not to feel bad and change the expect, change the entitlement to mm. expectation because mm. they are entitled as younger younger um children like fort mm. said it raises their expectation so mm -hmm. change the narrative if we're changing the narrative on, on what father fatherhood looks like in our communities let's change that entitlement to expectation we've we've risen the bar high so now you just can't give them anything and expect them to accept whatever it is that you're dishing out because we provided a lifestyle we provided a lifestyle and it should set a bar high for them. So let's change the narrative. And I want to say this, that in the um, the show that I was watching the other, the, the panel discussion that I was um, watching the other day, they said um, for fathers, this is what they wanted to leave with fathers. They said, you can't recreate what you've missed. Just develop what you have. Hmm. So don't just try to go back because maybe you exited a child's life when they were five or six and now they're 17, we're not trying to re recreate what it is all that you've missed, but develop what it is that you have right now. A knowledge, another knowledge nugget that they dropped was um, 
parenting from different age groups. They said from um, childhood, when children are younger, you, you father from command. Hmm. When children are, when they get to be teenagers, you father from conversation. Hmm. And when they're adults, you father from concern. So please don't try to father your adult children from command because they're not going to respond. You can't, you have to make sure that you know where exactly they are and learning how to father from those places. Because out of when your children are, um, when your children are teenagers, you create conversations because a lot of times they're so deep into their friends or technology that they're just not even trying to talk to us. So you engage them through um, conversation and allow them to free flow and let their hearts spill out into the conversation. But when they begin to shift into independence, you can't just command everything because they'll freeze up and not respond. So I wanted to offer that to you guys before I then gave everybody an opportunity to speak before we round this thing out. Because I do want to hear again from Chester. I want to hear from him because I know that Chester is extremely, extremely knowledgeable and listening to his daughter or reading all that um, Tamika is putting up. I just want to hear a little bit more from you, especially as it relates to, and we do need to end out, but especially as it relates to Asante, who is now a dope dad. Like, how do you think that that y'all relationship has translated into how great he is now as a father of his two children? You know, the, the Bible tells you to raise up a child in the way that, that he needs to be. And when, he, when he's an adult, we won't depart from it. And the re the revelation of that scripture is not that your child won't depart from it, but that the child won't leave. He may, he may stray from it, but he won't depart from it. Mm -hmm. So when you're raising your children through their different levels of life from when they're, when they're young and they just hang on to your every word to when they get a little bit older and they get outside influences and they start to question what you say to when they become an adult and, and part of that process is them throwing away what you taught them and then figuring it out for themselves and filtering, filtering it through their own lens and then those early lessons become relevant again because they can find the truth in it through their own perspective and my, my son you know right now you want to say a quick, quick prayer, prayer for me he's in the hospital with his with his son because his son ran out on the basketball court while, while, while they were playing and uh, another person landed on him and, and broke his leg so you know they oh. junior gotta you know he gotta get some pins and stuff in his legs and i talked to him last night and i I hear the hurt and the pain in his voice, and I know where that comes from because that just comes from absolute love. Like I'd rather break both of my legs and my arms than to have anything happen to my my children. And that's that that that's what he's feeling right now. But you know, God is good, and it's all in His hands, and it's gonna be all right. And I'm I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the ups and downs. I'm thankful for. The foundation that was given when when me me and our wife was a part of those years and she allowed me to take him in as the custodial parent and then be the primary the primary whereas you know it, it, we flipped it instead of him coming to my house every every weekend he would he, he would go to his mom's house on the weekends and he would stay with me and, and that you know that gave us time to 
established a bond and 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 that bond was tested even when he and his mother got back together because the dynamic was so different from what he was used to that he rebelled and we fought and we we struggled and we argued and the the then to watch him be the father that he is now and the the the, the stand-up young man that he is now the hard-working young man that he is now is like the greatest blessing in my life because that's all that i ever wanted to be as so a father was to raise that and he is yeah. that beautiful that's what i'm talking about that's what i'm talking about rob tufnell can you tell us briefly about um if, if someone is interested oh you're in texas now okay so rob can you tell us briefly about um someone is interested in um adoptive services or or um foster care see about an agency that can reach out yeah well uh right off the bat we have um the ones we deal with are the company we deal with uh, organization by bethany christian family services um they're located here in pennsylvania but i think they also do other states um it's at bethany.org uh, Pennsylvania number 215-376-6200. And just, it's, it's a simple process. You, you want to be a foster parent because it's so, it's so needed. The numbers are so high. And, um, you know, especially with the, the need for teenagers and older kids is, oh, it's, it's, it, if I gave you the statistics, this, this whole show would just go downhill. We would all start crying. The, the aging out process, the numbers after they become adults and go on their their own is 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 mind blowing. So it's definitely needed. Strong men like we have on this panel are definitely needed in the foster and, and, and adoption process. Um, so, and then you can you know me, I'm a big fan of Google. You can Google something in your local neighborhood, you know, local area organizations. Um, there are plenty of them. Um, we're, we're here in Pennsylvania, um, Philadelphia, so it, it's, yeah, definitely needed. Please look into it. Um, especially if you, your kids now are a little older and, and the nest is becoming empty, fill it back up, fill it back up. Come on, get some kids. And, Job and, bless and, the people who may want to fill it back up. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I it's wouldn't be one of those people, but I, I, I thank God for you, Rob. Yes. Yeah. Well, for my wife, really, because I, I, to be honest, I, I was out. I was free. Was I'm, I'm like done. Rashawn Horsby, man. I've been yes. I've been a parent all my life. I had to fight. Right. My whole my whole adult. I ain't never been an adult without somebody to take care of. So, Me either. Right. Bless you. so yeah, definitely. Uh, please do. And I also want to say for Father's Day, you know, we as men. We it's almost uh, uh, we written that we have to acknowledge you guys. You look pretty today. You look great. That outfit is wonderful. This is that, you know, when we go out, we have to maybe bring home some roses and bring home some diamonds and bring this home, even when it's not your birthday. So on Father's Day, bring us something home that, you know, we like, you know, you know, we like Air Force Ones. Give us a pair of Air Force Ones. 
So you don't. So you don't want me to bring you home a Tiffany bracelet. No, no, don't do that. Bring us the we like to wear. Bring us the you 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 know what we like. You know what size we are. I'm a big guy. Don't bring me home a 2X shirt. Because, because if, I, if I brought you home a small shirt, what would happen? Watch yourself. Watch yourself. You're about to change this podcast. Don't so get scratched up. Is, all I'm saying, for that one day a year for Father's Day, do something, you know, bring us what we like. I know Pay attention right. to what we like and, and just do that for us. You know, that's definitely a hint, man. <laughs> Rashawn, can you briefly tell us about the 90 Day Fatherhood Challenge? So just real short and sweet, 90 Day Fathers Challenge started when I, you know, got custody of my little brother. So, but basically it's just fathers. Um, I just encourage fathers, especially, you know, for the fathers that aren't spending time with their kids, just to try spending 90 days straight with your kids. So if you, um, you know, you can't even use the excuse because like Brother Omatri, he travels. I'm pretty sure he does the Zoom or FaceTime with his son. I'm pretty sure. So don't make that excuse that oh, I, I'm not with it. We always put it on the mom. Like go hard for your kids is all I'm saying. That's what the 90 day father's challenge is for is that try 90 days. Like when a job, if you do something after 90 days, they like hire you permanently. You start to get benefits. I just felt that if you do something, spend time with your kids, whether it's virtually taking them to school or picking them up, you know, a park date just something for 90 days straight with your kids that it'll build more closeness with your kids and fathers. So I just wanted to do that to inspire fathers, you know, you know, big brothers, whoever, if you're a man and you see that a kid needs that father figure, boy or girl, be that to them. That's what that 90 day father challenge is for. And my last word is off of what Ms. Wild said about not trying to fix what wasn't, but focusing on what you have. I say this to, to to men and women out there that may not have had a relationship with their father. I started my relationship with my biological father, like where we actually talked, asked him why he wasn't around when I was 27 years old. And from that day, I've allowed my father to be in my life, be in my kids' lives. He's he's never he's never raised me. So if you have a parent that is still alive and you have the opportunity to build a relationship with them, don't focus on the time that y'all missed together focus on the time that you do have because God says honor thy mother and thy father so if your parents are alive because some people don't have their parents here and wish that they did so if your parent is alive and you have opportunity to build a relationship and it's not anything that's crazy I, I'm asking you to push to have a relationship with your parent because you don't never know when your last day is here you never know when your last day is here so appreciate the time that you could have with your parents because we all make mistakes i know i haven't been a perfect father my parents weren't perfect but i know my mom and dad loved me and they were more good than bad it's less like i hope my kids view me that way so you know we make mistakes there's no manual on it so give your parent a pass you know, try to build that relationship if, if you can. Heal and move forward. Heal and move. Forgive, heal, and move forward. Nairi, I want to hear from you about um, your last words and talking about um, traveling fathers, being a traveling father and the co-parenting piece. If you want to offer everybody some suggestions and have some final words. Um, Most definitely. Uh, first and foremost, I'll just touch based on the co-parenting again. Um, if you can sit down, communication, I would say, is key uh, to any relationship, but it's crucial when it comes to co-parenting. Um, 
that's first, that's like the, the, the number one priority that uh, I think individuals need to um, work on. If it's not, um, if they're not seeing eye to eye, they need to sit down, take time out to actually learn each other's expectations. Um, a child may, you know, alter, uh, I want to say a relationship or what they, what one may ex- expect it to be the outcome or the ending of, of, of their own relationship. Because once you have that synergy with the father and the mother, I think, I think that it can still be a beautiful outcome, even though you're not living under the same roof. You know, you can still raise children together, whether it's male or female, and still have a positive, they still have a, a positive outview on life through their child's worldview, you know, and also express to them and talk to the ch- the child the children basically and allow them um to ask questions and be and and, and be real you know i would say be 100 percent real with them um because if they're asking the questions that means that is on their mind and is on their forefront and sometimes you know us as parents individuals adults we tend to put our own belief or our own viewpoints and say, okay, this is what's best for the child. I, I find out I can do that myself. I may say this is what's best for him, where actually may not be the best for him. Or his mom may say, oh, I know best for him. And that may not be the best for them. So I was saying communication amongst the parents and the, and the child or children is, is, is vital and is crucial. Um, work on yourself. Um, like uh, Brother Hornsby saying, you got to love yourself um, first. Once you love yourself first, then you do and can have love for others. You know, uh, Alyssa also said she spoke uh, earlier about, um, you know, what she said in a woman with she believes that they uh, can work on in regards to building the men up and, and knowing what's out there and the hardships that we have when we step out that door. Um, and touching base in that, that's also loving yourself first. You know, when you love yourself first, then, like I said, you then know how to, I would say, output that other love to others, you know, um, give that love to others and set aside the, um, set aside any bitterness, you know, um, let that go. Well, like you said, um, it's about the children at the end of the day. And you find yourself getting in an argument or find yourself straying away from the means of why you were even in the situation and the, or having this conversation in the front in the, in, in, in the first place. Always think, hey, this is not about me. This is about the child or the children. And when you think about that, when you communicate like that and with that on your forefront of your mind, you tend to it, 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 it then it, it places things. Um, with priorities, it levels things out where it's like, this is the best for the child. It's not saying what I think is the best for the child. What do you really think is the best situation for the child? Child, And that, and I think you'll come to common grounds. And um, I would say that um, me being young, younger, <laughs> I guess out of the, the bunch and just the new generation with the world today, it's a lot, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot going out there um, and raising children. Um, young ladies, I say, especially <laughs> it's a hard, <laughs> it's very hard. Uh, I want to say it's more challenging to me saying raising a young lady at this time 
during these times out there with uh, a lot that's going on with, like you said, social media platform and what they have access to. They saying this is the, you know, the times of information, you know, um, it's all about how and who are you receiving that information? Absolutely. Um, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, it's very, it's very challenging staying up with what these children are doing, you know, um, like I said, for me and a co-parenting that and that the facade, because, you know, social media can put a facade of things or peaches and cream and it's really not. And that then leaves all self-detrimental where you're thinking about, oh, well, this person, you know, is living this way and they're happy. And it's not because you took a picture and it's, and they're smiling, you know, so it's like it's, it's very at this time, it's very hard, challenging. Communication is the key. I want to leave off on that note that. It's just, and that's vital in any relationship, but make sure you have great communication. And that's Absolutely. What and to our resident girl dad who was combing hair at the time, any final words? <laughs> you get the baby's hair all together. Anything you want to leave us with? You're muted. There we go. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay. I actually wanted to just kind of piggyback and throw um, something in there for the 90 day challenge. Um, like, first off, I think that's amazing. I like that, like the 90 day challenge. I know. <laughs> and um, so so something I wanted to like kind of toss in there, you know, for, for dads, for, for parents, um, is even if you're in your child's life, um, if, if you're already there, 90 days, uh, how about you, you up the ante on the 90 day challenge and create 90 days of new memories for your children? Um, because being present, just being there is is one thing, but actually creating a child, um, it's a completely different thing. You know what I mean? So I like that, and I think I'm gonna take the 90 day challenge. Um, but, um, I feel like that's a great way to really push, push the envelope uh, and be deliberate about, be deliberate about the things that um, my kids remember, you know? So like 90 days of my kids finding out something new about me or 90 days of, you know, them experiencing or learning something new that I facilitated, something, um, but just pushing the envelope and really, you know, challenging myself to be, and definitely and we have a we have a facebook page too so 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 the goal of it was when you was you were for you to like post pictures so if you're like on instagram i'm mean not instagram like facetime or something take a picture post it on our facebook page we're on instagram and facebook 90 day fathers challenge tag us in it put us up send me the pictures i put them up myself so that's what it's about. Like you said, even if you're in the home, it's for us as well, because I know myself, I work sometimes. We work so much. We don't get to spend time with our kids, even though we're actually in the home. So it's for us as well, too, that are, are that are in the home, because you can be in the home and be absent as well, too. So uh, I heard that. You know, I heard that. So, yeah, like the like, there you go. Like it on Facebook. 90 Day Fathers Challenge. I'm just that person. You say there something. You and he's already Googling it. There we go. Still talking about there we go. <laughs> There is, you go. Like, that's Sir Google. Yep. Sir Google. So I was trying to um wait for Algernon Hall to get his internet, his interweb 
um, all together. But I'm a, I'm around out this session saying that this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, one second, Alyssa. I just wanted to acknowledge that your commencement speech to the class of 2021 at my alma mater, Camden High School. <laughs> class out class, to the high. class of 90. Great job yesterday. Very <laughs> proud of you. Behind that purple podium, man. It was life, man. They had Last a DJ, 90. music was going, and my dress was flowing in the breeze, even though my speech almost blew smooth across the field. It was all good, though. It was an amazing day. And again, I say that if my dad were here, I know for sure I'm making my father proud. I know for sure I am. My dad would be so proud. It was so dope yesterday. Sheree Huff Wild, my sister-in-law, my line sister, my soror, my friend since kindergarten. Um, she introduced me yesterday, and that was amazing. It just turned into a class and a class, a Camden High um pep rally because mm. everybody that got up to the podium was like, I was class of 1987, we the best class. I'm 86, we the best class. I'm 88, we the best class. I'm 68, we the best class. I'm 78, but of course we know. Class we will give 2021 15 <laughs> seconds. We'll give 2021 15 seconds, but we know that <laughs> class of 90 is every single thing. So then there's that. So on from our class of 90, we're proud thank of you. <laughs> thank you for bringing that up, Rob, because that meant the world to me. I have been invited to a bunch of different things, but that being called back home to where you started is life. I'm telling you, between that and the I Am Camden Award that I received in my first year in the district, I'm telling you that nothing could have made me feel better. I promise you just that. So um, Algernon Hall might be back for 15 seconds. So let me get you, brother. If you hear, you hear? Ms. Wiles, can you connect? Can you connect all of us too, as well? Like after Absolutely. the show. Can, so can we you... have a we have an after party. We're going to stay on for a, fifth, a few minutes <laughs> after after the session, so that we can all connect and everybody can share numbers. But because Algernon Hall can't seem to get his internet together, we did hear from him, and we know where his heart is bleeding. So we want to put prayers up for him because I know for sure that he is not the only man in this situation. So we just want to pray for him and reach out to him. And if there are any resources that we can connect him with or just um, suggest, we want to, in fact, do that for him. There you go. You there? Hello. Maybe not. He's out. So what we're, going to, what we're going to do is backstage. If he comes back in, we'll just go ahead on and connect him. But I want to say that as I end out every other every show, before I even get to my pulse check, I want to say that you guys are amazing. I thank God for you. Yes, I thank God for you break, uh, gracing my platform with your presence and your stories because you guys are really doing it from different vantage points. Y'all are making fatherhood look so good. So I truly do appreciate all that you do and all that you are and all that you've been to me because some somehow, some way you guys have touched me in some kind of a way that I would even reach out to you because I know your stories. So I thank God for you. I thank God for what you're doing. I thank God for what you're doing out in the communities, not just in your home. I just thank God for who you are and helping us shift the narrative in our communities about fatherhood. It's the individual ones of you that are helping from different vantage points shift this conversation and shift the narrative because they are forcing themselves to believe that we are not present, that we are not active, and that we're not doing the damn thing. 
But from all of these different vantage points, they get to see what fatherhood looks like in the inner city and in our community. So I thank you guys for coming on and being transparent and telling your stories. I do appreciate you guys. Um, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers, to the father of my children. I appreciate you. Fathering, um, parenting our children as young adults was far harder than it was when they were children. This mess is difficult now that they have their own minds and their own say. So I thank God for Robert Henson, who is doing a phenomenal job for our adult children. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate who you are. And publicly, I will say, Bob, you are doing a damn thing. You definitely are. We've had our challenges. We've had strife in our lives. It wasn't all the way easy. But who you are in our children's lives today in 2021 is all inspiring. So I appreciate you. To my brothers who didn't have a strong role model because my father was all over the place. My brothers, Asa and Byron are doing the damn thing. Ace got like 15 kids, I swear, <laughs> but he is amazing. He really don't. He only got seven, but it's a whole lot in our family. But Ace is doing an amazing job. He really is all over. He's that father that really just flies out and does all those different things because he never wants anyone to feel more uh, appreciated than the other. So he's everywhere, making sure that his children are all over the place, making sure that he's there for them and their and his grandchildren. Byron to Brenaya and Tim is just some something amazing. Byron is just it. And they pulled from, they were the ones who pulled from what my father was not, I don't want to be. So we can change this narrative. My father was not perfect. My father was perfect to me, but we all have our different um, translations about who he was. We all have different experiences. And I received that and I honor that. I don't fight it at all because I don't want anybody to edit my story while telling theirs. So I won't do that to them. So to my brothers, to my children's father, to my father, to the man that was there, my mother's mate, Mr. Joe, who was now going on, um, going on to glory. He was amazing because he was in the home and he was everything to me. So Joe Robinson, I want to publicly put his name out there because he was on the on-site dad. He was amazing. So to all of the men in my life, and to all of the men on this platform and all the men that support Wilds Worldwide, I truly do appreciate you guys. Thank you for the job that you're doing now. We are about to round this thing out as we always do with a pulse check. Two fingers on your inner wrist. If you feel a pulse, it's because you have a purpose. God left you here and you can, God continues to keep you here because there is a purpose for your life. You find your purpose, you walk in your purpose and you live out your purpose every single day. I appreciate you guys for coming back every Saturday to be with Wilds Worldwide. Thank you for moving Alyssa South Jersey into Wilds Worldwide. I appreciate you all and I love you all. And I will see you guys back here as we round out the month of the man. What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Featuring a diva dinner and our special guest who is just going to blow y'all away. So come back next week. We love you guys. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Father's Day, happy Pride Month, and happy, happy, happy to all of the grads who are graduating from pre-K to doctoral programs. You guys are amazing, and we love you. See you guys again next week.